What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Sonny McFlano, back again with another bang of a podcast. And on today's episode of Sunny Talk, I'm here with a very special guest. I'm here with the host of a podcast, or is it a talk show? Well, it's called uh, Let's Talk, talk Less Audio Podcast. Yeah, yeah. So we're here with Hami from Let's Talk with Hami. What's good, bro? Sonny, my brother, thank you for having me on. What's going on? Thank you. I appreciate you for your time, bro. So, of course, uh, King, anytime. Yeah, so can you uh, let the audience know a little bit about yourself? Well, first, where they can find you and then give them a brief overview about who you are. Of, of course, you can find me on uh, YouTube, Instagram, uh, at Let's Just Talk with Hami. Uh, that's all my social media handles, uh, Apple Music, uh, I mean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all platforms, um, LinkedIn by my name, Hami Dusilla or Hami Silla. And that's about it. Okay, and can then, you... Uh, yeah. yeah, a little bit about myself. Uh, Hami here, originally from West Africa. Uh, grew up in the same building as Sunny. Uh, I just graduated from Brown with a master's in public affairs. And Congratulations. went to St. Lawrence University. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Went to St. Lawrence University for undergrad uh, and received a bachelor's degrees in political science and francophone studies. And then before that, I was in the Bronx. A whole lot happened in between. So I'm sure we'll go through the story of what happened throughout the podcast. But yeah. Yeah, okay. That sounds good. So uh, what, what, what would you say you got your bachelor's in again? I, I, uh, I missed the second one. Political science and francophone studies. It's basically French and the, along with like uh, the studies of the politics of French colonized Africa. Mm, okay. Okay, okay. So it's, it's basically the study of the uh, French colonization type shit? So like the study of the politics of uh, African countries that were colonized by the French because some of the classes uh, had a marker of history in it and critical thinking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, nice, nice. Okay, so like on this podcast, we like to start from the very beginning and work our way up to the top. So where were you born and raised? Well, where were you born at? I was born in Guinea-Conakry, um, which is a small country in West Africa. Guinea-Conakry? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Guinea two, just two, means four, small, two, two, right? four, two, two, four, the only country. Now, Guinea is the name that was given to it by uh, the French colonizers, uh, there is a story, not sure how accurate this is, that when the white man first touched the shores of West Africa, the region, before they broke it up into different countries, the mm-hmm. region that is now known as Guinea, um, they met, they came in contact with the black people that lived there, and they sort of asked them, where are we now? And the people from the Susu tribe said, Guinea, Guinea. But in that language, in that dialect, that means women. Um, mm. Because there were women at the river who were sort of like uh, cleaning mm-hmm. and like uh, doing laundry sort of at the river. And they, the story goes that they thought that the white man asked them, what are you or who are you? And they responded, we are women. And mm. so the country is called Guinea or Guinea. Um, because of that now again i'm not sure how accurate that story is but it's just the name of the country itself okay and does the, does that country share border with a i know of a 
Equatorial Spanish Guinea? Is that also part of it too? So they're right above us. We sh- below us. I mean, because we share a we share uh, borders with uh, the Atlantic Ocean, obviously, and okay. Senegal above us, Mali, Guinea-Bissau, uh, and Gambia right in the middle of Senegal, right there. So those are the countries that we share border with above us. And then to our right, if you look at the map, there is, I believe, uh, which countries we have. And then we also share borders with Sierra Leone, Liberia below us, Ivory Coast. Uh, I think one more country is escaping me, but those are countries that we share directly mm-hmm. borders with. Okay, okay. So it, basically, Western Africa, you guys are in the like there's like exactly. The we're like we're like right at the entrance where all the boats stops. Okay, okay. So uh, how long did you guys live? Well, how long did you live in Africa? Do you remember? Uh, so I. I spent my childhood. I spent my childhood years with my father, because my mom lived in the United States, and then I spent my middle school years slash adult years with my mother. Um, mm-hmm. I lived with my father up until middle school, and went to Saint George, uh, and then which and that was, was a in, private. That was in Africa, right? That was in West. That was in West. That was in Guinea in West Africa, yeah. okay. um, and then that's where I learned French. And uh, the two dialects that I know, which is Susu, my father's language, and Pular or Fulani, my mother's language. And I know a little bit of Maninka, um, which is another dialect that's spoken there. And then, um, but not really, I don't really speak that one. And then move with my mother in uh, what should have been seventh grade, but then I skipped seventh grade and went straight to eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. So fairly, re- not fairly recent, but yeah. But like, you got exactly, like 10 yeah. years? About, Pardon? About, you got about 10 years here? Then? I have no idea. I haven't been counting. <laughs> okay, okay. But why? Well, so take me back to Africa, though. What do you remember at your time? Because you said you got here in seventh grade. So that was a, that was a, a long, after seventh grade. So that was a long time, right? Like, so I was like, I, I left like when sixth grade ended, kind of, yeah. Mm. Um, what do I remember? Uh, really, I have a romanticized vision and version of uh, Guinea or West Africa because uh, we lived well, like we lived relatively to the population. Uh, my father was well also, of course, we lived uh, in what is considered luxury. Uh, but like that wasn't something that was apparent to me because everybody else around us uh, was mired in poverty. So uh, those, all my friends were from like the local community uh, those are my best friends. Those are the people I went to play soccer with. Those are the people I played in the mud with. Those are the people I ran around in the streets with. Yeah. Uh, so that was my vision of it. Um, and apparently, from anecdotal stories from our older siblings, I spent most of my time with the adults in the neighborhood uh, because there is this thing. I can say where, that. Yeah. So like, where this thing, there's this thing where like all the older male adults sit under the tree uh, at our neighbor's house. Uh, and just like argue all day and talk about world politics and talk about soccer. The town square about... type shit. Exactly, exactly. So that was where I spent most of my days right after school and I'll just soak in knowledge and then, you know, uh, memorize a bunch of facts that I'll pick up from there and then I'll go to the younger kids and I'll be the smart one and I'll just like regurgitate a bunch of stuff that I didn't understand, you know? Um, and then... Uh, yeah, that, that's my that's the view or the version of Guinea that I had. Yeah. But also there were instances where um, 
political instability in the country that's a conflict mm. and violence. So a lot of my childhood was uh, living in uh, living, living through like right, right, right. So like living through military coups, mm -hmm. uh, military takeover of like the the the, the government. Uh, so like after the second president Lancer Conte died, uh, right after that it was a bunch of it was a military coup from this guy named Dadis who took over. So there was a lot of ethnic conflict and wars that happened during my time there uh, that left a lot of people, unfortunately, dead or injured. Um, and uh, that's right before we moved with my mom in the U.S. Well, you say that was a contributing factor to the you guys moving or was that always a plan? Uh, I'm not exact. I would say for me on my and that was a contributing factor because I was I was young when it when we moved, um, so I'm sure that was a contributing factor of like it's not safe here. Mm -hmm. In combination with also the opportunities that you'll gain from moving to the West, because you know nobody's moving somewhere else because it's worse there or like they yeah. have less opportunities there. Mm -hmm. um, we're all migrating uh, somewhere or changing locations or moving because we feel like we we're going to have better life prospects. Um, but I'm also sure that, uh, our parents didn't want us living in, uh, in constant ethnic conflict and war mm -hmm. and, you know, insecurity and so on. So we're some of the lucky ones that made it out. Okay. Okay. So I staying on this topic. I want to, uh, can you elaborate more on like, what are the political, what were the political conflicts going on? If you, yeah, you know, the best of your yeah. knowledge. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so, uh, Guinea has a complex history. Um, so we were part of different empires before the, the region that is now known as Guinea came mm -hmm. together. Um, and we had, you know, good thriving, uh, social institutions and traditional institutions. Um, and then the French came to West Africa and, you know, at the meeting in Berlin, they sort of with like other Europeans, they partitioned the country into different countries for this, for them to, um, monetize, for them to monetize their resources and also like control their subject or their regions better. Yeah. Um, and then the French gained a whole of, Guinea Conakry, Senegal, Mali, Ivory Coast, or Cote d'Ivoire, Cameroon, uh, like all the French speaking Africa right now. Uh, right mm -hmm. now. Um, so the French ruled with an iron fist uh, with indirect, something called uh, indirect rule um, for a while and sort of um, gained control of their subject by stoking uh, ethnic differences and sort of like putting fire like putting mm -hmm. some ethnic groups in charge and disenfranchising other ethnic groups and so on and uh breaking down the institutions that existed in the in in the society at the time mm -hmm. um sort of put a bunch of people who historically haven't lived together in the same borders by randomly cutting up borders of the african mm -hmm. continent changing the um, borders on yeah, so like, you know, people in the Mali Empire found themselves in the uh, in the Futajilo Empire and like all and, and so on. Like there's a lot of different empires that existed at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but what they don't tell you about the history books, though, is that it took the 
it took Europeans a really long time to colonize Africa. It was met with a lot of resistance, a lot of wars, a lot of um, fighting. Um, yeah. For example, um, they won't teach you about this in school. There's like this guy, uh, Samori Touré, that was from Bascot of Guinea, um, and, I mean, Hautecote of Guinea, that fought the French for like 16 years. Mm -hmm. And they were met with resistance, a lot of fighting, even though the French had better artillery and uh, weaponry than uh, Black Africans had at the time. Um, and then you also have people in the Futa Jalon region, which is my mom's people that also had the Alfayaya and the Sori and the Sori people who also like uh, for the French along with other ethnic groups and gave support to other ethnic groups to resist uh, colonialism and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so that happened. But anyways, eventually the French gained control of the region. Um, they put some ethnic groups in charge over others. Um, yeah. And then in 1958, Guinea becomes the first French-speaking country in Africa to liberate itself from colonialism through a referendum and telling the French to, you know, skedaddle, get the hell out. The referendum, um, so what? So they got, they made their so, way into parliament, not parliament, but into offices right, of so, government? Right. So what happened during African liberation is that uh, the French used to take the brightest minds. I mean, Europeans in general used to take mm -hmm. the brightest minds on the continent, send them to Europe to like give them education and then sort of send them back to the continent to help them. Uh, Better the countries and shit. No, absolutely not. To help well, that, them instead keep of track that, yeah. of, right. To help them like keep track of all of the resources and the subjects and the people mm. and sort of help them govern from France, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what happened was they took this cohort of freedom fighters and liberators to Europe um, that, but that they didn't know would come back to liberate their country. Among those people mm. was, was uh, Ahmed Sekouturi. Um, he is the father of freedom and uh, of liberation in Guinea. Um, so mm. he came back. He, Never heard of these names. Right. So so he came back with his coalition of like uh, brothers. You have like the Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana. You have, I don't know if you heard of Patrice Lumumba in Congo. If you heard of Thomas Sankara in Burkina Faso. If you heard of Malim Julius Nyerere in nah. Tanzania. Which you is know, it's, cr it's crazy, bro. The, uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but it's like from a, basically from like a entry level like viewpoint, like being yeah. African-American or whatever. We don't hear mm -hmm. any of these like, uh, African heroes. We hear of the basically we hear of like Mansa Musa, uh, Zulu, right, uh, and uh, Mandela. So like all the, exactly. So all those people are real. All those things are real too. It's just yeah. like that's really far back, right? Mm -hmm, um, yeah. You only you have, have to go until the fifties and the sixties to know that there's all these other people there too. Yeah. That like are great Black African leaders and heroes that could have changed the nature and the yeah. course of in the, the modern, you know, yeah. right. But unfortunately, most of them were killed yeah. by the West before they could do anything about it. Yeah, I know how that um, goes. Right. The West intervening and all that. So 1958, this guy liberates Guinea, and then um, he rules Guinea with an iron fist for 26 years um, through what he called uh, a communist socialist something, something. I forgot the correct terminology for it, so I don't want to butcher it. Mm -hmm. um, but... Um, through that, he did that because there was always this fear that the French were going to come back and recolonize Guinea. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, uh, that didn't benefit the country because uh, there was repression of dissent. Um, 
uh, uh, First Amendment uh, uh, rights were like totally non-existent within the country. Um, some ethnic groups uh, felt like uh, he was benefiting the, his own ethnic group. Mm. Um, but of course, history is told by different people. So um, different people have different versions and ideas and understanding of his role um, and appreciation or hate for his role. Um, but after he passed away, um, like 26 years later, another guy came on, uh, Lansana Conte, and then he ruled Guinea for another 20 plus years. Um, and then he died and there was a military coup um, where this guy named Dadis took over. Um, his rule was short-lived, but like that's where all the political conflict and the ethnic conflict and the wars came from, right? Because people were fighting for yeah. political power and struggle. So a lot of people got killed um, one major example was like 200 plus people were murdered at a stadium for like political, political, at a political rally um, because this military leader was supposed to be a transitioning government. But then he decided he wants to stay for like, uh, for a longer period of time, maybe a lifetime, you know, because that is the history of the country. Um, and then he got shot in the head by one of his close guards named Tumba. Um, and then another person in his camp um, became transitioning leader um, and then there was a peace for a bit then they did some elections where the French of course intervened um, and then this guy named Alpha Conde took over as president and during his reign uh, there was a lot of conflict between the his camp and the Polani leaders camp uh, yeah. um so sorry, I'm talking a lot right now. But no, no, no. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm listening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna end in like a second. So no, it seems all full circle. So the so the okay. conflict has been has been mired by these different ethnic groups trying to gain a hold of power in Guinea. Um, the roots of which dates back to the French, uh, sort of creating vestiges and separating and differences between these different groups yeah. because resources. The idea that resources are scarce and the idea that if my tribe gets a hold of power, uh, we're gonna have access to more stuff, right? Because um, at the end of the day, it's about resources, about access and so on and power. Um, but yeah, and recently this Alpha Conde guy, uh, he also expanded his, his term limit of presidency from two years to three years. So he got ousted by a military government um, of this guy named Mamadi Dumbuya, who is now in charge of the transitioning government in Guinea. Um, mm. But the country has been relatively peaceful since this new military coup back in either 2020 or 2021. Um, okay. And this is now a part of the wave of the coups that you see in West Africa right now. Um, so you have Niger that recently had a military coup um, and ousted what they called a French puppet government. Um, and then you have Gabon, which less than a week or two ago also had a military coup. And then you have Mali, you have... Uh, uh, Burkina Faso, you have Chad Jamena, like, and you have like eight to nine coups that have happened in the region following like the Guinea incident and so on. Mm. But, um, but yeah, that's a small history of the question that you asked me earlier.
No, yeah, it's definitely that's definitely intriguing. This one guy that I keep seeing on Instagram, I don't know who it is, but it's a, like mm. an African leader, and like they're they're basically, I'm, it's like mixed reviews because there will be like some clips I'll see, and they're trying to paint him as a bad guy, and then uh, and then in other clips are just like he's just not falling for the West influence, and he's uh he's working for good or whatever. But I don't know, I don't even know the guy's name or what country he's from, but. It's, it's gotcha. definitely interesting seeing like uh or like hearing about these stories because like I was saying yeah. earlier that they don't show you these uh people they they'll give you like the myth not mythological but like the the old the the ancient heroes you get it mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. or or like a Mandela like you get it um, right that, exactly now I get you can yeah yeah but um that's definitely interesting but also I want you to uh can you give the people a description of what it's like to live in Africa. Because I feel like here in the, on the West, we have like a jaded like perspective, like especially like yeah. me growing up, like I remember seeing like the, the Feed the Children ads and shit like that. You get it? But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing people are gonna remember is the continent of Africa is the third largest continent in the world. Like you could fit the United States, you mm-hmm, could fit yeah. China and Europe, all of it in that one continent, right? Yeah. Um, and then also any country in on the continent is similar to living anywhere else in the world. You have areas that are really poor and you have areas that are really wealthy. You have really wealthy people, you have really poor people. Um, and that's how societies usually work. And, you know, very few societies have managed to have uh, societies where everybody is well off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, take a look at us, like how we grew up in the Bronx. Like, yeah. we have, sometimes we have anything in the fruit, in the fridge to eat, right? We have clothes to wear to school. We have winter clothes. Um, we grew up in some of the worst conditions possible or imaginable, imaginable where like people, in some of the countries in Africa are living 10 times better than us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm an example of what it was like to live well back there, right? Because it's like the Dominican Republic as well, right? Yeah. Because I know, I know. are you from DR? Oh, yeah, my mother is Dominican and my dad is right. uh, from St. Kitts, but I grew up in the Caribbean. Okay, yeah. so so being from, from the Dominican Republic, being from... from um, yeah, Jamaica or wherever, yeah, right? Yeah. The Caribbean. Uh, everybody wants to go to Punta Cana, right? Because mm-hmm. some parts of it is nice. You got the resorts, you got all that stuff. But then you get out a couple of miles outside of Punta Cana, it's nothing but poverty, right? Um, or you in Santo Domingo, some parts are really developed and nice, and mm-hmm. then you go a little far off, it's poverty. Uh, yeah. Same thing in Guinea, same thing in a lot of African countries, same thing mm-hmm. in America. Like, you go to Manhattan, amazing take yeah. a trip down to the south bronx people don't really don't even want to come to the projects because they're like oh, i don't want to be around all that poverty or like whatever yeah. myth they made up in their heads about what it's like to be from poor areas mm-hmm. um but yeah so that's the experience of like um that's what they don't show you is like we have some of the nicest parts or institutions or buildings in the world mm-hmm. ver- and you know cultural centers and so on and we also have poverty in a lot of areas, which they tend to highlight the most, you know? Yeah. Um, but I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, there's always like a, there's always this subconscious effort 
uh, at least it seems like to to paint the African countries or black people in this weaker right. standpoint. You get it? Right. But just any right. any any dark country. You get it? Like any brown of course, country. You always you always, yes. always gonna ask like, what's the agenda here? Mm-hmm. What are they trying to sell you? Um, who is this by and for? If it's yeah, a company that's trying to, if it's like a company that's trying to raise money for a cause or something, mm-hmm. they have no business or they won't benefit from showing you anything nice. If it's yeah. a company that's trying, to, that's trying to paint Africa in a negative light, why would they be showing you anything nice? Mm-hmm. Now, if you, look at, if you look at a tourism industry, of course, they're going to show you the nice stuff. They're going to show you Rwanda, Botswana, mm-hmm. um, Mauritius, or like, you know, some of the nice islands or uh, Dakar in Senegal, or yeah. Kenya, you know, like nice, er, nice countries, nice areas. Um, so what is the motive? What is the reason? What do they get out of it for making whatever thing it is that they made? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's funny because uh, you see how I, was, I wrote up the, they used to be like the Feed the Children ads. Like mm-hmm. nowadays, I saw there was a recent one. I think it was, uh, what, maybe it's, it was like a Dutch country, I believe. And they mm-hmm. had advertisement for basically feed the ch- children, not feed the children, but like help the homeless in America. Mm-hmm. You get it? And it was like, yeah, <laughs> I think it was like targeted for like San Francisco, maybe it was. You know, yeah. What the fuck? And they, they're just talking about like, oh, this area is poor or whatever. And the people are homeless. They showed mm-hmm. their encampments and all that. Right. But, right. Yeah, it should get crazy. But, um, okay, yeah, but uh, can you explain? All right, so, honestly, I, I get it. Like, Obviously, I, I knew that too. Like Africa is a big uh, continent. There's different countries. Obviously, there's going to be richer parts than others. But like, mm-hmm. can you? So, what what was the neighborhood like that you lived in? And explain to me the other neighborhoods in the surrounding areas. Okay, okay. Um, the neighborhood that I lived in, we were one of the few rich, one of the few well-off families in the area, right? Um, I remember them really... saying. I remember them saying that your dad was like a, a chief or something. Is that wrong? Uh, yeah, my dad worked for. Uh, my dad's story is insane, but he worked for the Conte government um, while he was when he just got out of law school, I mm. think, or at, uh, law school. I'm not sure why he just got out of school uh, and then came back because um, he. Yeah, he he was he won like a he won like a scholarship from like a countrywide test that is given in Guinea. I'm yeah. saying right now, one thing that's really different about African countries from the West, those exams that we take are way harder than the exams that we take out here. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie to you. School and education is extremely more difficult because there's always a tendency to try to make it seem like we have bad schools, but like the instructions and education that you receive. I would argue is top notch um, mm. because there is no technology um, for you to learn the basics from. Um, but in, to answer your question about the neighborhood, the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, most people were either li- either lived below the poverty line or um, were threading the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we lived in community. Most people live in uh, big enclosements and housings um, or like families have like their own houses in the area. Um, but it was relatively safe. Um, we lived in the part of one in that I were like, it, it, it's it's like our block, like it's all love. Like yeah. everybody know everybody know each other, and everybody got each other's back, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's not most of Guinea. Um, so okay. I've been I've been fortunate um, 
to move from one part of the world where like it's all love we all got each other and we're all in this together you know regardless of like if we're well off or poor or rich or whatever um mm -hmm. to move into another black where it's like yeah we're not like other blacks like we don't backdoor each other we got each other's back um if i see you on my blog it's like hey what's good like what's going on you know kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. um so that was my neighborhood and then you had like other neighborhoods uh like uh, i i would argue are the wealthier part which is like when you go down to the capital where like the president works um mm -hmm. Or like where all the ministry offices are, because you know they gotta keep those nice for all the people that work there. Um, mm -hmm. Or like you got places like Kipe, and I mean it makes no sense to name these places to an American audience that doesn't know them or like might not be too interested. And um, I mean, just go for it, bro. You never know who's listening. I like these type of stories because um, I, I mean my first guest was from the UK, from a, yeah. a, a little random town called Lincolnshire. And mm -hmm. and then there was uh, my second guy was from not even well one of the other guests he was from India and we mm -hmm. have I, I saw we have listeners like in Tanzania so you know congratulations King yeah. yes sir yeah. yeah so like we we had that um and you know uh my neighborhood was relatively what was different in that way I would argue um but yeah. And would you, uh, well, you said that the, the country was doing, going through some, like, uh, political issues, but would you say, is it that, is this a good country to travel for tourism? Uh, of course, Guineans would say that, because people in the 224 are, like, you know, very prideful. Um, I think tourism, it depends what you're trying to get out of it, right? Like, we have some of the best uh, hiking trails. I know you like hiking, you like biking, you like all that, you know, uh, yeah. outdoorsy stuff. If that's what you're looking for, we have some of the best in the world, like uh, some of the best mountains, the hiking trails and so on. So if you yeah. want that, definitely go to Guinea. Um, if you want um, cultural excursions where you learn about different tribes, different cultures, definitely go to Guinea. Um, if you want nightlife, because I haven't lived there as an adult and I recently went for my brother's wedding for, uh, for like nightlife. I thought yeah. they had some of the worst nightlife in the world. I'm not going to lie because... I've traveled to a lot of countries too, and I, it just wasn't giving in terms of nightlife. Yeah. Um, but why it was just whack? They, they, I don't know. They may crucify me for saying this, but in my book, nightlife wasn't it. Um, as far as what? Just, as far as like the clubs that my brother took me to, people just standing around all smoking the same hookah. Um, and like, you know. Uh, was the conversion rate good enough that like you could really oh conversion out? rate is insane oh we have if you go with a thousand dollars you go out for like a good a good minute you know are you yeah. good for a good minute like just you don't need too much money um the flight the flight may be the most expensive thing mm -hmm. uh that you're gonna get out there but also is a good starting point if you want to see the rest of west africa you know um or go up to the north to see like the Morocco's, the Egypt, the Algeria, um, mm. and so on, or like go down south to see like the Botswana's and the um, and the Zambia's and so on. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so uh, definitely for cultural stuff, for being around all black people, mm -hmm. um, for being exposed to different cultures and values. Uh, Guinea is the spot for you for outdoorsy stuff. Guinea is the spot for you for nature and so on. Guinea is the spot for you. Yeah, because you know, uh, like the nowadays, like the trendy one is everybody want to go to Nigeria. 
Nigeria's lit. My Nigerians are lit. I'm not gonna hold you. They be partying from like sundown to sun up. So uh, if you're looking for that, Nigeria is the place for you. Okay. So um, also maybe and Ghana. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, also this might be a silly question, but like, do you remember seeing any wildlife or like animals and shit? Or no? Uh, I'd say that's more like. East Africa and South Africa vibes. Okay. Um, but um, we have, we, we do have wildlife um, and Central Africa. Actually, yeah, most of us have wildlife. Do you have, this... about. Um, okay. but I didn't see it because in my capital, Conakry, uh, we don't have much wildlife yeah. unless you go to the, to the zoo or something. Um, but there's like stray dogs and stuff. Do um, you got then, squirrels? And, no, no, we don't have squirrels. No. Uh, there's no squirrels. Uh, maybe there's like a version in the squirrel family that I didn't see. But if you yeah. go to like, if you go to like the outside of the capital, you get to see a lot more wildlife. Like um, in in each, so Guinea is separated in four different regions, right? You mm-hmm. have Bascot. This is a little French terminology, so I apologize. That's okay. Um, which is like. Um, and then you have Moine Guinea, Guinea Forestier, and Haute Guinea. Literally is the part of the country. So like High Guinea, Guinea of the Forest, Low Guinea, and, and Lower Guinea kind of vibes. Um, so all those so vibes, like, is, the animal vibes is Low Guinea of the Forest? Is a bit different, right? So like each of the, those countries have their own uh, like different kind of climate, different kind of mm. uh, uh, nature or wildlife. Um, we have so this like, would be comparable to like the Amazon forest areas of like Brazil and Peru. I mean, the, the Amazon is much more diverse than we have, but like we are also like a tropical country. So mm. we have like, we have crazy like lizards and shit and we have like crocs. We have, um, we have like monkeys and different versions of it. Gorillas. Okay. Um, uh, what's this? There's this animal name that's, that's escaping me uh, but we we do well, have like cheetahs wildlife. and shit uh i don't think we have cheetahs that's more in the plains right yeah um we don't have that um we have okay. we have mam we have a lot of mammals and stuff okay. um our our natural our um you know how every country have like their animal like the u.s is the eagle mm-hmm. um we have our 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 national animal is the elephant because apparently okay. we had we had a lot of those too. Um, oh, they got hunted down. Probably. Shame. Fucking westerners. But uh, okay, so it's like okay, it's not like you're gonna walk around and see a fucking. You gotta be careful. There's a, a line. Yeah, no, yeah, but... or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's a myth anywhere on the continent. To be honest, like. Because even animals are not in the business of living with humans, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they have their own little kingdoms. They have their own little shit going on. Um, they're not really worried about us unless we go invade their environment. Because um, we're the ones that's actively destroying nature to build enclosements for ourselves. Yeah. Um, nature doesn't need to come to us. We go to it. To approach on nature. Any... Uh... You have any uh, like spiritual encounters from uh, over there in the motherland? Whoo! 
Spirituality is a big topic on the continent. Um, we have, I mean, majority of the country is Muslim, right? From like, mm -hmm. um, and like the people in the Futa Jalan have like, we're like the first Muslims in the region. Um, we had encounters with Arabs way before we had encounters with uh, the West and white people. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Arabs, not Arabs, but because, um, you know, being from the Bronx, everybody says Arabs, but it's like Arabs. But anyways, um, we had those encounters. So majority of the country is Muslim. We have a decent number of, uh, the second largest religion, I think, is Christianity. Um, but we also traditionally on the continent had like our own religions, um, older religions, um, older than the monotheistic religions. We had like a lot of animists. Um, like if you go to Benin, for example, we had a lot of, uh, there's like a lot of um, animist religions. Um, people that believe in nature, manifestation, spirituality, um, and all these different things. Um, and Guinea, um, just like a lot of other places, they believe in uh, sorcery, in oh. spirituality, in the devil, and things like that. They talk about it. Like there's a lot of voodoo that happens, like do you it's not see, by accident. Do, do you that, think... That, Sorry, do you, oh, why would you do you call it the devil because is it actually the devil or is this the Christian in you saying, oh, that's uh, the devil? It's probably probably my lack of knowledge on the issue. So I have to be careful which words I use. So yeah, yeah, good, good looks on that. So I, I don't I don't want to say the devil or not, but there's a lot of like spiritual practices that happen. Um, yeah, because I feel people like people do so say things like people do things like you, you got possessed, like people get possessed all the time. Mm -hmm. um people spirits. get jinns jinns in them all the time mm -hmm. um do like uh so like it's not by accident that like you have voodoo in haiti is because like those practices came from the continent you know yeah. and where and, santeria, right? and, like, and you santeria so we have a lot of that stuff like when i hear dominicans talking about santeria when i hear cubans talking about it when i hear like um haitians talking about voodoo i'm just like Man, you guys are just different versions of us in a different part of the world. Like we yeah. have this, we have our our practices are so similar. Our food, our culture, everything is damn near the same. Um, so like, yeah, like it's it's no different from what you would see in the practices of Santeria and Voodoo. Um, I mean, the practices, if you look at the details, is a bit different because different parts of the world. But like, in spirit, is the same. Do you have uh, any personal experiences? Uh, I wouldn't say personal experiences, but being scared a lot. Like, uh, like you've seen some shit? <laughs> like, like Guinea is the kind of place where, like, um, the older heads would tell you stories about, like, uh, about, like, a spirit or a jinn coming on, like, on top of, like, your, 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 um, your, on your, on your, what's, what's, what's the thing called? Like, on top of your house right mm -hmm. um and like at night or like people will tell stories about like how they saw a ghost um or stories of like how a ghost or jinn visited them at night um and then being a kid you're just around that and everything around you is scary as hell <laughs> um and so like they like i think i grew up a lot being scared of that stuff because of the stories that were being told to me by like the older folks in the town and stuff uh, but yeah. no, like personal experiences myself. Okay, I mean, I get it. But I have, way. I have seen, I have seen performances of like sorcerers trying to like catch a bad gene or like a or like a like a sorcerer and stuff like that. 
You will um, never see the people trying to fly or nothing. That stuff, like, not fly, but, like, puke out stuff or say that they made somebody puke out a frog or, like, say that they're catching, like, a bad spirit or put on, like, a performance in the town hall. So, like, mm-hmm. I've seen that because they're literally, like, performances. Everybody come and watch it, you know? Um, or, like, say that they're going to heal somebody. Um, so that stuff is, like, very public. Everybody knows about it. They treat it like it's nothing. Um, it's just another day in the neighborhood. Mm. And do, is, is it very reminiscent of, like, just, like, a magician doing tricks? For me, as an adult now, yes. But, like, there's a lot of people who would tell you that it's very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have experienced it. They have seen it. My parents' generation are very heavy in it. Um, in Guinea, for example, like you see money on the floor or like you see something on the floor that does not belong to you, don't touch it because you will turn into a goat or like a djinn, <laughs> a djinn, or, a djinn or a devil or a spirit will enter you and you won't be yourself. Um, there's stories of people saying that people have lost their mind because they touched something that wasn't theirs. But for someone like me, I take a look at those stories and I say, well, this is a great example of a society trying to instill good values and morals mm-hmm. in their young ones. And so they tell them these stories. But for others, oh, yeah, that's a like, fact. Uh, right. But for others, they're like, no, I've seen someone, a spirit into somebody's body or a jinn or a devil into somebody's body. And I've experienced this or like religiously, I believe in this, you know? Yeah. Um, so it depends on your person, dog. Yeah, but it'd be funny though, cause sometimes you see like the little videos on Facebook or like Instagram, and it'll be like, "Oh, yeah. this 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 woman cheated on on uh, her husband and turned into a goat, and the, the, it'll just be a goat, some guy holding a goat for <laughs> the whole time." And it's like, Nigga. exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or, nah, I mean, you never know though. You never know. You never know. Like, I'm not discounting it at all. So, mm-hmm. you know, test those, test those. Test those things at your own cost, at your own risk. I mean, hey, I, I was talking to some other guy the other day. His name is Ru- He's from the Netherlands. His name is Ruben. Mm-hmm. And he, he has experiences with, like, uh, clairvoyance and astral projection and seeing entities. They're big but, on that. They're big on that. There's people that have a whole business yeah. through that in the country, mm-hmm. you know? Word. So, so touch it back a little bit. So the country is going through some turmoil. What was the, like the final draw, like the final straw that made your family say, "Hey, now nah, we're gonna get the kids here." Cause uh, what? Cause I feel like I vaguely remember like you moving to the U.S. What you, you don't remember what year was it? I don't remember the exact year right now, but um, but how old were you? Oh, you I said was it was like, seven. I was seven, like 11, 11, 12, um, mm-hmm. I think. Um, Oh, yeah, I, like remember, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember the final show. I just know that I was really sad to leave, and I was being made to move to this new whole place. Like I didn't have any any decision making power or or like larger understanding of what was happening. I just yeah. followed my siblings, and we came, and now we live with my mom. Before we live with my dad, now we live with my mom. It was that simple to me. So take me back to that experience coming back to America. Take me back to that day when you got on that plane. Yeah, I remember that day being a very gloomy day because um, I was, you know, when 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 your parents don't live together, 
whichever one of them you live with end up being like your person, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause you don't have the other one. So my dad was my dog. Um, and uh, I, like I said, I was very in tune with the community at a very young age. Um, so a lot of people in my neighborhood, I was in tune with, uh, yeah. good friends with my best friend, one of my best friends, Tantong. Sorry, so, uh, sorry, beginning. sorry, real quick. Um, my bad. I have a quick question. Did your dad have another wife? Was he Muslim or was he Christian? He was Muslim. He had yeah. a different wife before my mother. Okay. But then they got separated. Oh, okay. And okay. my mom. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he didn't have, it was like a multiple wife thing. Because I'm, I'm thinking, a lot like, of, a lot of, a lot of, Nah, not really. I didn't have one. Um, a lot of Guineans. I mean, I had moms in different capacities because like the mother is a community, and... mm-hmm. right? Guinea is a community. My mom had cousins and sisters. Okay. Um, my grandma, and so on. So like, I did have women figures in my life at that young age. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Guinea. We have a culture of men having multiple wives because. Islam or just cultural practices, yeah. um, so there is very much a thing in the country. Okay, okay. But your dad just wasn't on that, the, from your knowledge or whatever. No. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, my bad. You were saying that your friend, your friend Tom Tom, still lives in Guinea, right? Yeah, yeah, Tom Tom. Um, yeah, yeah, he still lives there. So I just remember being really sad, um, leaving and coming to the U.S. Um, but you know, didn't know, uh, like, didn't know what to expect, mm-hmm. what was happening. Because um, at this point, know, did you have? Uh, did you even speak English at this point? No, I spoke English when I moved. I learned English when I moved to the U.S. Okay, so but uh, yeah, did yeah. you did you already have like uh like what did you think of America? Because you like did you knew obviously you knew your mom was there, but it was like did you I had, have... I had no conception of what to expect. Okay. Like no idea of what to expect. It was you ain't watch no TV. Think America shit like oh shit that's uh, real. Our TV, our TV wasn't French. The music oh, wasn't okay. French. I was too invested in what was happening. Like if you if you're a kid, you're invested in kid things, right? Yeah. Like I'm not I'm not imagining a whole different world. I'm not imagining what's the first thing I'm gonna do when I land. I'm not imagining any of this stuff. I'm not imagining how my life is about to change drastically. Um, how I'm about to pick up a whole new attitude, view of the world, and mm-hmm. you know, paradigm. It was all like, damn, I gotta leave my friends. I don't want to leave my friends. Um, yeah. Where the hell am I going? You know, I don't want to leave my dad. I feel bad. For my dad is gonna be by himself. Um, kind of vibes. Yeah, but to you, it was like, but like I'm saying, like, so what was like your, like, did you did you ever you like you were saying? Sorry, I'm like slipping over my words but the whole time you were living in africa yes you you knew your mom was in america you were just saying like yeah your dad was more of your person because that's what was there with you but like you didn't have any thought of like hey mom's over there i wonder where she's at like you didn't have like any idea of, like okay she's over there did you ever like wonder about like what she was going through or, like where she was at or like did you have did you even have that like, oh you didn't you didn't have like a line of communication with her at all so we spoke here and there, but then again, it's like, oh, how are you? Like, kid conversation. Yeah, sure. How are you yeah. doing? When are you, you know, what are you bringing me as a gift? Do you yeah. miss me? Yeah, I miss you. Rehearsed conversations of what you're supposed to say to your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, that was about the limits of it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I get it. I get it. 
So, because um, did you did you remember her? Yes, okay. yeah, I remember her through pictures and stuff, and so on. Yeah. So I she was. So. so you were real young when she left. Yeah, very young. Okay. All right. So damn. So how was how was it like adjusting to being with her? Since you, this is like like a complete new person to you. This is just someone you spoke to over the phone, saw pictures of with you and her. Like, you didn't really. Well, like yeah, you, it was, you explained it to. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. Um, we went from like, because again, mama's boy, get here, with besties. Um, and then as you grow up, you know, like when you're growing up, the hood just does something to you, you know, like it turns you into somebody that like, you don't even know you're turning into. So like at first when I got there, sixth grade, we're all good. Mama's child. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out my environment, learn the language, learn English in like a month. Um, and then, you know, started making friends, eighth grade. Started making friends that's in the streets, hit the streets with some of my friends running around, just like having fun, living that regular Bronx life. Ninth grade, 10th grade, then we start bumping heads a mm. lot because I start turning into like somebody that my environment is molding me to turn into. You know, that shit happens and you don't even know that it's happening. So yeah. put, her, put her through a whole lot and then end up going to college and then had like a complete rewiring of my mind. And I'm like, I don't want my relationship with my mother to be one of friction. Mm-hmm. So I completely changed the nature of our relationship and she turns into my best friend, like quite literally. Um, and, you know, I start saying, I love you to her a lot. Um, and then- mm. Was that, the so what would, Sorry, sorry, I'm looking, cutting you off, but like that wasn't something that you would that you would do like a nah. lot. Nah, in, in it felt fake in a way. Yeah, of course, it felt fake at first, but then over time, it becomes part of your muscle. It becomes something that you know you actually want to say. It yeah. becomes surreal that like you want to show affection, but like growing up in like African households, you just don't show affection. Like that's not what we do. Like you look at each other, you like, <laughs> you know, like you know they got you, you got them. You do some fuck shit, you just ask them, yo. What's that thing you say you want it? Kind of vibe, like yeah. Just, yeah well, and you just do something nice for them, and then you move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as you grow up, as you develop, as your mind grows, you start to see your patterns. You start to understand why you do the things that you do, mm-hmm. um, and you change your behavior. If not, yeah. you're not grown as a person. Yeah, sorry. Oh, oh, okay. So real quick. So uh, when your mom, because I'm guessing like it was just because like your mom would say it a lot because it was like you weren't used to it your dad probably didn't say that to you at all maybe probably you could probably count on it one hand maybe i'm guessing and um not to say it like that but just because you say how the culture is but uh and once you can introduce your mom you're with her all the time she's saying it to you like you were saying it's kind of awkward but you say oh, the i love you yeah nah none of them said that <laughs> oh no nah? okay i think i think i was probably the first one i think my little brother like he was born here, he grew up here. He is the one that, if anything, taught me that it's okay to say I love you because he'll just casually say it. Homosa? Yeah, but like 
he would probably not say it now because he's this tough macho dude now. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, he's the, he's the one that indirectly showed me what it's like to have a relationship with your mother at first, you know? Because when I came here, he he lived with my mom. They've always been together. It's always been just the two of them. So they've always been very close. Uh, mm-hmm. They slept together when he was younger. Um, he was mama's boy. Uh, so I was like, this is a thing? Like, really? Um, yeah. So, you know, he showed me how to show affection. Wow. Don't tell him I said that, though. I mean, he probably hear it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nah, okay. Okay, damn, but it's, it's wild just like that little, but it's just because your mom wasn't there like when I was growing up because she would probably, exactly. she probably would have done it with her own method right? if she right. was around, but exactly. she just wasn't around, yeah. Damn, that's crazy. Though. Wow. But now yeah, 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 back, every, yeah, back squared up. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now, now we're great. We in a great place. Um, so much love for my family, like my siblings. Um, we went through, you know, experienced the worst together, and so how many now yeah, is it? So, uh, you know, all of us. Uh, it's on my mom's side. There is my mom's four other kids, and then my dad has other kids as well. Um. Yeah, my dad has. Wait, so how many yeah, is it, How many yeah, is from your mom's side? Uh, Four? Five of us. Five. Okay. Five. Yeah. Okay. And you. Okay. My dad has six other kids, so in total, eleven. Okay. We're a big family. Yeah. So does your dad could live with y'all too there? Nah, um, they all live in different parts of the world. Um, okay. Doing their, doing their own thing. So is your older brother you? Oh, and then your two sisters. My, my, and my two sisters, yeah. Yeah. Musa and the two sisters, right. Okay. All right. So, oh, wait, so it was, um. so who was in Africa? It was you, your sister, and your older brother that was in Africa? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, damn, that's crazy, though. Like, right, like life just turned full, life just turned full circle, and then things just happened along the way. And then you, like, you know, like you asking these questions, I'm like, I forgot I even had a life, you know, somewhere <laughs> else before, like a whole different life somewhere else before this. Yeah. Like you making me really think hard about like, what was life like? Who was present? Who was there? Who was not? Because um, now it's like it's like you don't even remember that that part of, of your life existed before yeah. you know because like you're so invested in the now and what's going on now um or like the experiences that are most recent um and so on mm-hmm. yeah you always we always live in the moment sometimes that we yeah. is that's why sometimes it's, it's kind of easy to forget about like 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 it's like your old people and shit because it's just like they're not yeah. here right in front of you exactly yeah right so uh so you get back to America. Well, you get to America, a little awkward at first. How was it going getting into school? Cause- uh, so you know, you know, you go to school based on the zip code um, in the United States. So mm-hmm. we just went to the to the closest school. Um, you got BWA Bronx Writing Academy on Morris Avenue on West Sixty Seven. 
um, and 22. Those are the two middle schools in the area. So came in, uh, and then we just went to the principal's office, and they were like, uh, all right, well, he's in sixth grade or something like that. Uh, and then my older sister was in eighth grade. Um, they were like, all right, let's give him some tests to see where he's at. Took a test, and they were like, all right, we're going to send him in eighth grade with his sister. Uh, she hated it. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we went into eighth grade. My sister had my back. And she, my sister already spoke English because she grew up in Gambia. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, although she had it, she was like, well, I could look out for my brother. I could, like, you know, show him things. But yeah. I was, like, I was determined because, like, you know, I met Dominican kids. Uh, I met, like, kids from all over the, the uh, like, a lot of black kids, a lot of people from my neighborhood. Um, so I was like, I'm going to learn English, like, yesterday. So, oh, which the middle sister, right? Uh, uh, yeah, 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 Nana. Um, okay, okay. So I decided to, so yeah, so, so they sent me there. Um, I, I thought you were saying the oldest, that's at first. That's I'm like, well, you was in school with her? <laughs> nah, 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 I was in school with my sister, Nana. Um, <laughs> so uh had some great teachers that I remember from back there, Mr. Carrasco, my math teacher, that's my dog, Miss Brackett Johnson, that's also one of the greatest to ever do it in eighth grade English class. She scared the hell out of me when I first came. Um, how how quickly did you learn English? Like a month or two. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, so she, she used to give me books. She used to like just talk to me. Um, or yell at me most of the time. Um, but, you know, she really built that character that I needed. And then you had... Uh, well, real quick, sorry. Yeah. When you took the examination for school, were you, yeah. did you speak any English yet? Or you already had learned it? Uh, none, none. It was, most, it was mostly math exams. Mm, nice. Um, yeah. So it was probably so, easy to you? I don't know if it was easy. I don't even remember, like, how I did or what I did, I just took it. I mean, and then I they mean, also they will put you from seventh to eighth. You had to do good. They also had like my paperwork or like exams from like back in Guinea, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they also used that to evaluate where I should end up. Um, and mind you, I was very little when they're making all these decisions. So yeah, um, yeah. So I'm not sure which parts of the stories I may be missing or or like omitting and so on. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you, so you having a good time in school. The teachers are on you. She's pushing you to learn English. So See, I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was a good time. It was a culture shock, right? Because like, okay, in New York, in New York, we all tough. We all built different. But like, I was lucky because there was another kid there named Suleimani, who was also from Guinea, that spoke English, that like became friends with me right away. So shout out to him. And then my son Danny. Um, who also had just came from DR, and he didn't speak English either. So yeah, was it ESL together? Yeah, so he's for some reason, you know, fuck with me. Um, so me and him tapped in, me and Suleimani tapped in, and then their friends that were just like kind of around, but those were like my two people from like back then. Um, crazy part is Suleimani and Danny never liked each other anyways. Um, yeah. They used to like have a little beef. Um, but those two, I feel like really looked out for me in ways that I probably don't even know, but because, like, you know, niggas are getting bullied, it's a lot of, like, fighting happening. Um, yeah. I didn't really know what, like, what the politics of the school was. Um, you had kids getting sent to juvie 
um, you have fights breaking out here and there. Uh, but yeah, like I was very fortunate with like the and things, this is the all things like, unfolded for me because like I mean, damn, you yeah. had a, I would say you you came out at a crucial moment, and they they kind of like forced you into it because it was like I came in seventh grade too, so it was like. At least I had like that warm up because by eighth grade, that's when it's really all that popping. Right before niggas get into middle, into high school. Right before niggas jump up, jump off the porch. Yeah, that shit. That's that's when everybody was like jumping off, getting into gangs, signing up for like different kind of lives. Um, yeah, I think you yeah, got like I don't know, man. That's that eighth grade was crazy. Like every day it was like every day. Um, yeah, I think the principal spent more time. Breaking up fights and uh, freaking making things work smoothly than she did on like principal things in the office. Um, yeah. At some point, we had a metal detector, and all you saw was like kids leaving shit outside to come into school. Um, but yeah, that was eighth grade. Yeah, yeah. And you learn in English at this point, and just like, what was like some of the culture shock moments for you? Like, uh, like when was the first time you got introduced, like niggas gang banging and shit, like niggas fronted on you or some shit? I used to watch a lot of fights. I don't think anybody like fronted on me directly, but okay. like I knew what I knew what was up because like some of my friends started turning patria because like you had one six eight right there. Mm-hmm. Um, niggas is coming into school like. Jack and then Mac Bola. Um, so I'm just like uninterested by like unimpressed by all of this stuff because I don't see like how big of how big how part of like how big of a role it plays in like the culture and shit. Yeah. Um but like nobody nobody I, I don't remember an experience where like somebody popped on me eighth grade. It okay. was mainly it was mainly like watching my friends go through it. Because there was um, gangbanging and shit. Yeah, because I also was, like, very low-key, too, at that time. You know, like, you just got here, um, watched the lay of the land, just hold yeah. out. You know, like, I had one of my friends, like, cripping real hard at that time. He was, like, the only one in the school that was cripping. So, like, and then I had cousins, too. Like, my cousins was, like, out here jacking different shit. Um, so, like, I'd leave school, go with them. Um, and then, like, just like observing the environment, I got introduced to like a whole different world that like we didn't know how it was affecting us at the time or how they were shaping our mind mm-hmm. to behave and respond and, in certain ways. Yeah. So, um, so on this podcast, I, I, we'd be discussing a whole lot of shit. It'd be like, um, yeah. What do you what do you think is one of the main issues that causes well that basically encourage for for the state of New York to be where it's at and as far as like the youth? Like, what do you think are some of the contributing factors? Like me personally, I, I always say it's kinda like in the Bronx, it was like we had like a lack of OGs really. Yeah. As far as far as like that was telling us not to do the gangbang and shit. Like, niggas is around or whatever, but they're doing their own thing, living their own lives. You get it? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's a that's a loaded question. Because, okay, so I studied policy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's... So I approach every question by asking 
I mean, I approach every issue by asking like a series of questions. Like, what are the historical factors that have created the environment and the institutions that we live in today? Mm -hmm. um, are there any um, relations or ties that you can find between what is currently happening here and what is happening somewhere else? If you introduce new factors in the environment, does it change anything? So there's a host of questions that you can ask. And based on how you ask questions, you arrive to a different series of answers, right? Because mm -hmm. like there is a tendency to blame things on culture. But the mm -hmm. issue with blaming things on culture is that it explains everything, therefore explains nothing, right? So I had a political science professor in Alan, named Alan Draper back in undergrad that taught me that, right? Because I was, I was doing this research and I was trying to like investigate how culture plays a role in things. Like, yes, culture mm -hmm. is a contributing factor, but something else created culture. Culture doesn't just happen, right? Mm -hmm. A bunch of things happen and then that becomes culture. Um, mm -hmm. So then um, there is a reason that every city you, you, you go into, most cities that you go into, you'll find a version of the Bronx, right? Mm -hmm. So then you start asking questions, why is that? Why is it that majority of the black communities are mired in institutions in the United States? Mm -hmm. Then you look at things like, then you go back and investigate history and you find that the reason our communities exist and are, sh are the way that they are is not by accident, right? We live the way that we did at the, that we do as a result of generations of policies mm -hmm. that were implemented in the past, mm -hmm. along with a host of personal decisions that have been made by us, mm -hmm. right? So, like, we can't discount history and the way in which it happened. Yeah. We live in poor neighborhoods because things like redlining have historically been a part of our history. Redlining is basically. No, yeah, no. Back, oh, yeah, you could explain it. Right, right. So, like, redlining is like when uh, back in uh, segregation era, they used to um, realtors used to mark off neighborhoods as like uh, green, yellow, and red. I think, and like green would basically mean this is like a vibrant community, a good neighborhood to live in. Businesses should come and invest in here. And then, if a neighborhood is redlined, that just means this is poor. Don't live here. Don't come here. Mm -hmm. And black communities tended to be the one to be redlined, right? Mm -hmm. And that prevented us from having businesses, generations, owning stuff, and so on. Um, and a lot of things happened, like the big migration from the South, where like, all poor Black people from the South that were recently emancipated moved to the, to the North, and they ended up in these redlined communities. Mm -hmm. So then we ended up building and creating these communities of like, uh, poor people who didn't have access to resources or anything of the sort or government services and so on. And that creates a certain type of reality, right? Like you look around our communities, what do you see? Bodegas, liquor stores, and Kennedy's, and what else? Like, what else do we got, really? Clothing stores, um, vanity shit. Right, so- um, Hair salons. When you have that is, economically chokes the communities that in which that we live in. Mm -hmm. So that's one part of the reason why we live the way that we do. And then you look at what effect does this have on like the next generation, the kids that are coming up, right? So in the United States, like I said before, you go to school based on zip code, right? And so now you have kids, and then that also means that 
your tax money that you receive for school and funding comes from it affects the schools based on how wealthy a neighborhood is so if you live in a wealthy neighborhood uh and your property taxes are high and so on and that money is getting funneled into school that's money for great teachers book new books resources um tutors peer support groups after school programs and so on whereas if you go to any school in the bronx or poor neighborhoods or underserved communities across the united states we're having trouble having enough books for the kids like i had to share books with like like i remember me and my son danny used to just like share a book with me and my sister they just sit there in class sharing a book with three people mm-hmm. you know um that has an right. effect on a child's on a child's mental development right um and then after school instead of going to community centers instead of going after school programs me and my friends was in the park doing f shit all day um and then that's where you run into the things that are happening in the street because mm-hmm. that's where all the gangbang is hang out that's where all the all the niggas and stuff no good hang out mm-hmm. right ironically they hang out at the fucking park right so we used to, we used to be in them parks first time I saw somebody get jumped was these girls that went to my 8th grade and like me and my little brother was in there like watching it like it was a show right and so like we're being exposed the things in our environment that's molding and shaping our mind in certain ways right and then you're going up around all this trauma and this frustration and this anger and you're like nah this is just how new yorkers are be like this how do we move be like you know you just got to be tough and they blow on you like he's like you know and then you go to school 7am 8am you see a nigga get popped on on a bus mm-hmm. so of course right away you're developing this mindset of like hey anyway going fuck with me somebody say something to me my first reaction is and you be on edge you on edge right swing on him discuss later and then like our schools are like planted in between three four different projects like my high school i was in between batanzas courtland marhaven um jackson and smith nah i went to u prep is a new charter school that was founded in the area mm. um so like it's like every day we watching like niggas from different houses come into the park near our school and fighting it out and duking it out you know yeah. and like those are our friends those are becoming our friends those are becoming our people those are becoming our reality so it's like we don't live in the places that we do by accident rather these systems have had impacts over time Mm-hmm. Kids in the suburb or wealthy neighborhoods don't have to deal with that. Yeah. You know, they come from they they live in one family homes. They don't live in buildings where there's a thousand other people living in that building. So yeah, the but interaction do, but, but they Sorry, do still ahead. they do still go through their things cuz then in the suburbs you'll have like the drug addiction problems and shit like that. Right. So that's a different that's a different kind of problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and we would be asking a different set of questions as to why is it that kids in the suburbs go mm-hmm. through those addictions. But we have addiction in our communities too. We just don't get it talked about in the news as much as when it happens to white kids because nobody's highlighting yeah. our stories, right? Like we had the way in which the drug epidemic was treated in our communities versus how it's treated in wealthy affluent white communities has been completely different. You know when the crack epidemic happened in the 80s or when like kids are going through you know like drinking lean every day in the hood to like mm-hmm. deal with their traumas and shit it's just drug addiction it's just like you know like it's criminalized mm-hmm. whereas when it happens in white affluent 
communities, it's called an opiate crisis. And yeah. we need to deal with this mental health issue that's making kids go through all of, that's making kids do drugs in these wealthy communities, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, why are we not afforded the same luxury and the same treatment? Why are they not looking at the crisis in our communities as a crisis of mental health, mm -hmm. right? You look at our communities, you know, like niggas is going up, watching their friends get killed, Full get of PSC, up, PSC, you know, right? That, that creates, that Fs with your mind in ways that you can't even grapple with. But then you look at our community, there's zero mental health resources, zero psychologists in sight. Um, you're growing up in households where there's no food, um, where you're going up to school every morning hungry, hungry. All you got is 50 cent or a dollar for a butter roll, mm -hmm. right? And a soda maybe, and a nutty. I know niggas don't drink nutties no more, but like that shit used to be a shit. And then you go to school and some teacher is trying to talk to you about some book and some math. Yeah. It's like, yo, bro, I'm hungry. <laughs> so I think, I think at like, at the root of it, like we need to address these systems that exist in our communities, right? These issues of poverty, these issues of resources that are deep rooted. Mm -hmm. And of course, hold, hold each other accountable, right? in the culture part, like, yes, we glamorize gang culture. Yes, we have a lot of people going to jail and coming back and telling these stories. Yes, we have drug issues and so on. But all of this is happening because of lack, for me, in part because of the lack of uh, economic opportunities and resources, right? Like nobody wants to be on a block all day selling weed or some selling crack or whatever it is that people are selling, right? If they can have and a source of income that doesn't require them to put their freedom at risk. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. um, but then again, like the personal responsibility part that we need to take for our own communities and our own people mm -hmm. and like addressing the culture issue is very real. Like you're right. We ain't have like the good role models and so on. Like, cause the people, cause they also didn't have good role models. Yeah. You know? It's a repeating cycle. Um, right. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so going back again, that was good. But uh, sorry, going back again. So for you, when was like, how, how easy was it for you to avoid the street or did you find yourself dipping into it? Like, I feel like I got lucky pretty early on because I always had like a loner mindset. Like I wanted to do things alone. Mm -hmm. And I think like, in part, my older brother like to say that I grew up very like dependent, independent. But a lot of my friends that were getting sucked into it wanted to be a part of something, wanted mm -hmm. to belong to something. Yeah, that's, um, it's that's the same reason it. that, right? It's the same reason that kids join fraternities in college. Mm -hmm. You know, the the idea of brotherhood, the idea of being a part of something, or just feeling safe, bro. Like that, people ignore how important that is. Like. People feel unsafe, they carry guns, they carry knives, right? Because, like, the news always talking about how scary it is to live in the places that we come from, but it's like, yo, but we have to live here. Yeah. Like, you just talk about it from a distance, but we live here every day. We're taking a risk every time we walk outside. So, of course... Yeah, but the media also um, picks information and drums up, uh, like, outrage from the people or just fear. 
they just they they create the right. shares and get it cause, and that creates a narrative yeah. too because right? yeah because me talking to like the people that i'd be interviewing and shit they always that's a couple well, first like that's always mm-hmm. kind of like the first question they ask like oh is it really bad how they say like the people exactly or or like, like referring to like the covid times like oh was it really that bad like they were trying to uh lock everything down i'm like yo brother like it was overrated, like, bro. We, we, we live, we li- like we live here our entire lives. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. Like, we we're safe. We're good. Like, yeah. You know, as long as you run a um, business, hopefully you'll get through it. Sometimes and do your it- own exactly, exactly. Yeah. They forget that these are limited. Like, unless you're involved in it, it's not yeah. really touching you, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, like for me, it was like, like yes, through my friends, through like uh my cousins, like I was. I was exposed to it very early on, as soon as I moved here, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, I used to go to parties with my friends who were gangbanging. I used to, like, uh, be in the park. I used to be recording the videos when people were fighting because it was just what you did and you were part of that environment, right? Yeah. But, like, um, I, I also had a love for school, which put me different. So, like, when me and my friends went out to party in the, in the projects, right, I, like, go to a house party. We'd be there. We'd be there to like all night partying, but the moment I got home, I made sure like I did my homework for the next day before going to school, right? So that was the difference. When my friends finally went home, they went to sleep, and then you go to school and they're like, "Oh, where's the homework?" Right? And then you start slipping. Um, and then I got very lucky. I had teachers like Miss Papo from high school who gave me like James Baldwin books, right? Um, and then that exposed me to like Black revolutionary thinkers, and like black change makers and i started listening to the marcus garvey to the kwame Nkrumah, and like listening to their tapes and like france Fanon and mrs and being exposed to like all these thinkers and out of all of them james baldwin had like a really big impact on me because his books were about the hood and mm-hmm. what it's like growing up in the hood and what shaped what the hood looked like and why kids in the hood act the way that they act so like I'd read some shit in his book and then go outside and see my friends performing in the same exact way that the book talked about. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, like bro, the bros don't even know that they manipulated. That they're not they're not the first to act this way. You know? The bros don't even know that like so many other people came before them and are ended up in the same exact circumstances as they in now. You know, but now this shit and is like, like now this shit right. is like uh, magnified and like uh, maximized like a hundredfold because of the internet now. Everybody exactly. is on a different level. Like they on some super clout shit. Everybody, they, right, they don't even right. some, they don't even understand the gravity of like the decisions that they're making and like the killings and like you get like they just think right. it's a game. Right, and and for me, it's always been like. I don't even think they think it's a game. I think some people just don't have the capacity to think further or see beyond what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Because I've been in those rooms where it's like, I, I, I gotta be careful what I say, but like, I've, <laughs> I've been in those rooms where it's like, everything that could go wrong is going wrong. And now one person is speaking up because we are thinking like, all right, this is normal. This is yeah. our reality. This is what we're supposed to be doing. 
anybody that goes against the grain in this room shouldn't be in here or is soft or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, no, like you're not soft. You just have a brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's like, for me, it took a lot of self-reflection after like getting to know myself, getting to know more of my history and the history of my people and my communities and the different things, the different things that I'm a part of, right? And like realizing like, there is more out there than like what is currently here, right? Because, okay. like, I've, I very much could have easily ended up in the same circumstances that a lot of my friends have ended up in. So I don't take that blessing for granted, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, um, damn, so it's crazy because it's, like, one of the main reasons I wanted to interview you is because, like, I see, the, I seen, like, the duality. Like, I'll see you mm-hmm. all home from like college and like you doing hood rat shit with your hood rat friends, you know what I mean? And then like yeah. and then I'll see the the academic side of you. You feel me? Right. So switching gears right. now, um how 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 and when did you start Let's Just Talk with Homie? I started Let's Just Talk with Homie. Um my senior year of college mm-hmm. like march 2021 in the middle of the pandemic um one of the was it I a always, class assessment assignment mm-hmm. okay no 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 um i always been fascinated by like talk show hosts mm-hmm. and like i said when i discovered james baldwin i used to watch like his oxford debates mm. um and i was inspired by that and I, then that led me to like watching the Noam Chomsky debates. Mm. Um, so if anybody's listening to this, go watch the, 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 the Baldwin speeches and debates and get inspired. Go watch the Noam Chomsky debates and get inspired. Um, so then I thought about it. I like the idea of being a talk show host. Um, I like, I, I loved theater at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love politics, not that I love politics, but I've always, politics has always been a huge part of my life. Um, and then I took this class with, um, my late professor, God rest his soul, um, Fred Exo, who was like, what some people would characterize, what, like one of my most conservative professors characterized as a hopeless leftist. Right. Um, and then in Fred's class, we learned about the politics of inequality. Right. And some of the things that I'm talking about right now, how, like, policies have shaped societies over time, right? Especially in the United States. Um, and um, it was all about injustices and inequalities and so on. And then I went and I took a class with the most conservative professor on campus at the time, um, Lockhart, uh, what's, no, not Lockhart, uh, what's his name? Joseph Jackal, um, that's my dog too. Um, and then in his class, it was all conservative kids and it was a totally different reality than what I was expe- experiencing in the other class. So then we had this one topic about money in politics and whether money in politics undermines the democratic process, right? And then I spoke with Fred. Fred is like, yes, money in politics under- undermines the democratic process because uh, it's, it becomes all about what the, re- the rich wants. And then there is congruency between 
uh, or like congruency meaning relationship between the policies that the rich want passed versus what normal folks like us want passed. And nine times out of 10, you look at it, it is whether you're a, Demo a Democrat or a Republican, it is the policies that the rich want that are being passed. Meanwhile, we're being distracted by culture wars, right? Mm -hmm. And then I go to, I go to Jacko and I'm like, yo, um, so your colleague on the left said this about how money in politics undermine the democratic process. What do you think? He goes, well, I don't think money in politics undermine the democratic process because they're countervailing forces to money in politics, meaning there are things that balance that out, right? The same way you have the Koch brothers, which is a billionaire family, on the Republican side, you have George Soros, which is another billionaire, on the Democrat side. So there's yeah. money on both sides. So because there is money on both sides, um, that means that the, the democratic process is not undermined. And then you also have uh, coalitions and advocacy groups um, that advocate for their causes to Congress and so on. That's mm -hmm. getting the agenda uh, listened to and passed through Congress as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that was his argument. And then my middle of the road professor who is like uh, moderate, um, I went to him and I was like, well, your colleague on the left said this and your colleague on the right said this, what do you think? And he goes, well, there are truths and there are half truths. The half truth is that there is money on both sides. And the full truth is that there's more money piled up on one side of the aisle than there is on the other side of the aisle. And as such, that shows that uh, the whole argument of there's money on both sides falls flat on its face <laughs> because Coke brothers money four plus four sisters money and you know all the billionaires on the right money is not does not compare to the money that's on the left. You said right? four sisters. Um, yeah, that's another family. That's that's another billionaire family. Um, that's super rich. Oh, we, we 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 come from Walton. Like you know, like that's also one of the richest families in the in, in the U.S. as well. Yeah, uh, the Walton like, family. That's uh that's Walmart, right? And Walgreens. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So they're on the right too. So that was his argument, and I was like, oh, like this is fascinating to me. I don't know if it's gonna be interesting to other people at all, but we need more people to be exposed to these different ideas and viewpoints about the world. Because what happens is if you're on the left, you're listening to CNN, you're listening to MSNBC and so on. If you're on the right, you're listening to Fox News and whatever other news are on the right. Um, and then, you know, like you're not seeing the full picture of what the other side is thinking and feeling. So I wanted to create a platform where like I was bringing together experts from various disciplines, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have to necessarily disagree, but they maybe have different approaches or lenses that they bring to addressing some of our society's most pressing problems and issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so by doing that, I was bringing faculty together from like economics, right? To speak with faculty in, in global studies or faculty in theology, to speak in faculty in physics, right? And addressing topics from, um, from like money, big money in politics, to the legalization of marijuana, to Israel and Palestine, 
to um, whatever issue is most pressing in our society that needs to be addressed, right? I was touching on, on uh, you know, the opiate crisis, which is something that you brought up during our talk. I was touching on urban gun violence um, and talking to people. And my whole point is like, it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree with these people, you know that they're credible messengers because they bring more than 20 years of expertise uh, doing this work, right? And that they actually have peer-reviewed articles from their from their from other people in the field, and then they're not just selling you bananas and apples. And their job is to lay out their arguments about why you should believe or undertake whatever worldview they have, right? And then I let the audience decide whether they agree or disagree with the things that they're saying. Mm-hmm. And then when I left St. Lawrence, I came to Northeastern University where I, where I worked as a program manager and went to the School of Public um, Policy and Urban Affairs. Uh, and then down there, I started bringing academics and experts who are working in the field together, right? Mm-hmm. For example, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I got Alicia Eli Yamin, who is a professor at Harvard, to come and talk with, um, to come and talk with, uh, uh, her name is escaping me, but she's the president of IBIS Reproductive Health, which is a national health, uh, international health organization. Uh, her name starts with a K. Um, anyways, I'm not gonna try to butcher it right now. But point is, we started bringing together experts and scholars together, mm-hmm. and that brought a whole new version of the show, right? And while down there, mm-hmm. I created a new segment called uh, Saturday Night Life live to like model after like the talk late night talk show vibes right um and like um and bringing in artists to come and talk because i had a lot of friends who are also artists that are doing like anywhere from rapping to poetry to uh theater and so on and acting and all the like and then went to brown and kept producing the show Mm -hmm. um and that's where we at now uh very proud of like what we've accomplished um and i was excited to hear that you know you started your own journey and you have your own vision about like what this could turn into and so on mm-hmm. thank you thank you but no yeah it was great bro I was, I, it was in, in part also uh inspired by your stuff also because it was like i saw you talking to people I was just like me well me i was kind of wanted to talk to people but my, mm-hmm. my own thing was just trying to get uh people's stories said that's important. That's important because too often, like, we focus on these issues and then we forget that there are human beings behind mm-hmm. all of these uh, things happening around us. And then their stories is shaping the way in which, you know, like our societies are organized and function. All right. So uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, being in these multiple in these different universities, um, mm-hmm. would you say it, are the universities a safe space for critical thinking, or is it, uh, or is it more so like this uh, hive mentality think like you can't you can't really go against the the, the common like uh, beliefs and shit like that. As far as um, uh, well. Yeah. Yeah. So there is there is this new thing on the right where like 
conservative kids like to argue that like their voices are not being heard on college campuses. I don't know if that's what inspired this question. Um, but for me, it has been like, for me, it's, it's irrelevant if you feel like, I mean, it is relevant whether you feel like your voices are heard in spaces or not, but I think mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of, uh, of courage to speak your voice, uh, to speak up in situations where like your voice may not be the majority voice, mm -hmm. right? And to simply be like, because people won't agree with what I'm saying, I won't say anything is a form of intellectual cowardice. Mm -hmm. And I tend to not have respect for that. Um, but to answer your question, um, it really depends on the, on the school that you're going to and the spaces that you're in and the classes that you're in, right? Like, like I said, like, I'm not conservative, but I was in a classroom with only conservative kids and a conservative professor, mm -hmm. you know? And it was scary sometimes to speak up in our room. Um, the same way I imagine that my conservative friends or some of my friends on the right feel when they're in classrooms where like people are not of the same political affinity as they are. Mm -hmm. But it takes courage for you to speak up. And I don't think anyone is necessarily being like, well, you can't speak your mind. Yeah. Like if you, if you speak an opinion, if people disagree, there is a tendency for them to be like, I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with people having different point of views than you and being okay with listening to them. What I'm not okay with is ostracizing people for having different opinions than you do. Mm -hmm. But like the same way you have, a, you have every right to speak your mind, the same way people have every right to disagree with you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like I, I, I think, but for the most part, the spaces that I've been into, um, that's what I've been pushing, right? Like conversations with people who disagree with you. Mm -hmm. um, conversations to bring different perspectives together to see which one best explains the issue and provides the better solution. That's what mm -hmm. I'm pushing. Um, and that's what I believe in. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And would you consider yourself liberal or conservative or, or nonpartisan? No comment. No comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why people get like that with this political shit? Man? Because, because once you put yourself into a box, it limits the options that you have um, about the world. That was in part a joking comment, but like, um, um, I felt like we live in a society, whether you like it or not, um, once you're placed into a box, it determines how people respond to you right away without speaking to you. Mm -hmm. um, and it may limit opportunities in the future um, mm -hmm. to work with people across the aisle because you have cornered yourself into a label. Mm -hmm. But what I would say about myself is that when I found out what a constructivist is, which is the idea that, uh, that society is not the way it is. Uh, society is shaped and organized by human decisions. Mm -hmm. And like majority of it is us doing arbitrary things they're not like set in stone facts, like the way we tend to think of our conceived ideas of the world. Mm 
right? Um, the, the best example that I could give about constructivism is if you come in, in most parts of the world, if you come to a red light, you stop, right? If you come to a yellow, yellow sign, you slow down. And if you come to green, you drive, right? But those colors are arbitrary. Those colors could have been purple, they could have been orange, and they could have been um, white, right? You still would have operated in the same way if majority of the people had signed a social contract to say, this is how we're going to operate. So I feel like being a constructivist allows you to listen to all points of views, right? And see which point of view has proved itself over time to be the most effective. Um, and I like that idea because I don't want to be limited um, by the idea of a label that's put on us as individuals. Because we felt we felt to realize sometimes that like there's a lot of different versions of what it means to be on the left and a lot of different versions of what it means to be on the right, right? Um, granted, I have values and convictions that I stand on that I won't budge on. And I think as anybody else should, um, but there's a lot of other things that make that there's there's also a lot of things about the world that make me understand that my understanding of the world is not evidence for truth it is mm -hmm. simply my understanding of the world yeah and it's like uh it is kind of, uh, for me personally it was like uh growing up and uh with a latino mother and as soon as I, I came of age to vote and stuff it was like oh vote democrat don't it don't even right. matter like they, that mm -hmm. ignorant thought like just vote pick a name on the democrat side and that's it and it's like yeah Bro. but like if you once you understand why that is it becomes mm -hmm. really important right because because we have two political parties in the u.s yeah and we tend to vote in cohorts in groups right if you vote anything else that's not democrat or republican you're wasting your vote yeah right because no other party is ever going to gain enough seats or support to have an impact on politics mm -hmm. right but democrats tend to vote a certain way they tend to favor certain ideas certain policies and republicans tend to vote certain way and have certain ideas and certain policies because they have different constituencies right mm -hmm. um so it's all a matter of who is going which party is going to safeguard your the things that you want is most likely going to safeguard those things that you want the most, right? Um, and how are you not going to vote against your own interest? Because it's ultimately about your interests. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. But it's, uh, as you, I feel like as you grow up and like hopefully people are like, they're listening, like, you're able to make up your own decisions, like, not follow uh, just the crowd and, you know, do your own research. Cause I feel like that's that's something that's lacking in, like, our communities especially is, like, people tell you to do something and it's like, oh, mama said to do it. Uh, yeah, but definitely, 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 whatever you do, definitely vote, though, because your vote does count. So yeah. go, go out there. Word. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah, so, what was like the? Well, I was gonna ask you what was like the 
craziest culture shock for um, going to college for you, but to me it was is you you've seen a lot. You kind of like were like well like rounded like you you lived a somewhat uh, higher lifestyle in, in Africa, and then like you came here, you you lived, you saw it from both like you saw it from both sides, kind of. Yeah. So, so um, there was definitely a lot of culture shock. Like living living in Guinea, I was like what ten years old. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that we were well off relative to my friends, right? That's not something that crossed my mind. Um, because as a child, if your friends are playing in the mud, you're also playing in the mud, right? If your friends are running around in, in dust, you're also running around in dust. And it's not like the rest of the country is so developed that like there's stark differences in between how people live. So there is that. But like growing up in the Bronx, I was much more aware of like what was happening, right? So everybody around me was poor. So that was one thing that was like the normal reality. And everybody around me was either black or Hispanic, mm-hmm. right? Or Latinx or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> okay. So then, so then that um, was the reality. The culture shock was going to St. Lawrence and almost everybody being white, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I went from a majority black country in Guinea to the hood where it were like everybody's around me was poor and um, everybody around me was black or Hispanic mm-hmm. to going to a place where most of the kids were middle, middle class or ridiculously wealthy. Right. And yeah. white. Um, and the kind of mu- the way I dressed was different. Um, shout out to my brothers that, you know, made that experience uh, livable for me. The Josh, the Ken, the, uh, Terrence, Lewis, all of them, a bunch of names, can't name all of them, James, shout out to all of them, but like, um, go in there, the way people dress is different, uh, my white friends wear Patagonia and khaki shirts and <laughs> sandals, that's not something that anybody where I come from wears, um, the music that I listen to is, I mean, in Africa, they don't they wear sandals? Uh, see, that's the thing, I'm not thinking about Africa. <laughs> okay. I'm thinking about going up in the Bronx because that's the experience yeah. that is relevant to me and that I remember. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so um, and when I say sandals, I mean like is it hiking sandals and shit? Yeah, like Birkenstocks and shit. Those, yeah, those, those, those. Um, and then of course there's like the fraternity kids and then you have like the super environmentalist kids and then shout out to them because they're doing great work. Um, and then you have like this, like you have like different types of white people that like I had never been exposed to before. And then the only white people I was exposed to were police officers or teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, both of which were negative experiences. So my idea of white people was not like, like I could be friends with them or like they'd have my best interest in mind kind of thing. Um, or reading about them through history. So mm-hmm. that was a culture shock of like being exposed to this different culture, different kind of experiences and extreme wealth, right? And then going to Brown, Brown surprisingly is one of the most diverse places that I've been to in a sense that like, we had a lot of white people, but we also had enough black kids, enough Asian kids, enough South Asian kids, enough kids from the African continent, enough kids from like 
you know, different parts of the world that like you wouldn't even imagine that you'd be in a class with, right? Like yeah. I was never the I was never the only black kid in class at Brown or the only kid of color, right? So I may have been the only black kid, but like there were other kids of color in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a great experience. But then the wealth was also different. Like we had kids pulling up in Porsche to class. Like this one kid used to park his Porsche right in front of class and every day for the summer got parking tickets and the kid didn't even think, oh, let me move my car down the road and not get a ticket. Um, it's just like, yeah, it is what it is. We had like a kid wear a Richard Milley to class one time. <laughs> Um, like that kind, that that kind of ridiculous. I, when I saw, I was like, "Yo, bro, we we rich. Let me call one of our cousins." But you know, he never but he never went to class again. Um, uh, kids, you know, like the the wealth was what was the most shocking thing. Um, but I'm also very grateful for the exposure that I got and the opportunities that were made available to me through attending these higher institutions of learning, because I know that many of my friends didn't have those opportunities, right? Um, and then the thing that it did for my academic and intellectual growth was amazing. Um, I wouldn't give that up for anything else in the world. Um, so I'm grateful for those for those opportunities too. And like, getting to interact with some of the best, the greatest minds in the world, you know, people who are shaping decisions and how our institutions are built and the way in which we live our everyday lives without even realizing that they have an impact on the way we live our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, so one, one, more thing, one more thing I want to ask you, bro. Um, you being from like, a, coming from Africa, uh, was there ever like some stigma of uh, intermixing with like uh, African Americans? Um, I know that that exists in my community, right? Mm-hmm. But again, I've been very fortunate. Like a huge part of my family is from here, right? Like grew up here. Okay. Um, and so like I've been fortunate to have that. And then also, as me, myself, as an individual, I'm a pan-Africanist, right? I believe in the unity of all Black people across the world um, with no, with understanding that, like, we may each have things that make us unique, but ultimately, we're all the same, right? Um, we're all the same people. We have, we have things about us that connects us as Black people. Um, and that's what I've always believed in. And then growing up in the Bronx, my experience, I was, when I, when like, you know, like when we went to those parties and we was coming back and the police stopped us on the streets and, you know, like stop and frisk was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they never, they never asked, oh, are you like African or like, are you from Guinea or like, you know, yeah. like, it was always like you, 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 you a ghetto kid from the Bronx and you black and you walking around at 2 a.m. at night coming from the peas, mm-hmm. spread them spread them, pat down, take you to the bookings for, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, right? for nothing or whatever. Um, right. So when people see you as a black person, the first thing that they're thinking is they're looking at you as a black person. They're not asking what is your heritage, where you come from. Mm-hmm. So like I never bought into the whole idea of um, 
the the supposed difference that exists that makes us so inherently different because i think inherently we're all similar with unique characteristic and traits mm -hmm. that make us who we are yeah all right okay no yeah definitely but yeah definitely that definitely exists like in um you know, well, you hear like those stories that like, people will say, Oh, yeah, they tell you that immigration don't mix with the black people from here or whatever. And then, like, they that that's also big, like, in the Latin culture, too. Yeah, no, that's definitely, that's definitely real, yeah. right? Like, our parents' generation may definitely have those uh, preconceived or determined notions mm -hmm. about African Americans in this country, but. Tanahisi Coates has the best uh, response to this, right? He says, because people on the right always also talk about, like, why is it that immigrants come to the United States and um, they end up uh, making it while African Americans who have been living here for a long time are struggling in the hood and so on, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then Tanahisi Coates says, okay, yeah, maybe the first generation of immigrants that come here, they do really well, right? But then what happens once the new Black immigrants or Hispanic immigrants come over time? What happens to them when they live too long in these communities? Um, because when we come, we're not going to live in Manhattan with the white folks or the rich folks. We're living in the ghettos, in the hood, because that's what we can afford, right? So we assimilate to that culture. And then he says, take a look at the second generation and the third generation. What happens is we start to become just like the people that they're trying to say that we're so different from, right? Like, and so like over time, like we're becoming more like the people that have been here because the institutions are designed in a certain way mm -hmm. um, for us to operate and behave in a certain way. You know, like you take a Tesla, you drive it in the U.S., that Tesla is going to drive the same way in Europe and Africa, wherever the hell you want to take it, mm -hmm. right? Um, so systems and institutions are designed to operate in certain ways, and it doesn't matter who you put in those systems, they're going to behave and operate the way they're designed. The same way. That's right. Um, uh, yeah, and there's always outliers and exceptions, of course. Like, I'm potentially one of those ex ex exceptions, too. So I can't ignore that fact as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. So, uh, well, I feel like this is kind of a. You kind of answered this question, but it was like a, I was I was gonna ask. Uh, did you do? You, well, it's kind of pointless to ask, but I was gonna say, do, do you feel like you lived a different worldly experience compared to other, uh, people of the same, the same color as you in in your society? Well, in your right. community. Um, in my community, like, definitely, like, I'm one of, in my friend group, I'm one of the only ones with a passport, right? Like, I got to study abroad in Europe and travel to, like, 13 different countries through school, right? Um, that's an experience that most of my friends have not had. Like, most of my friends haven't left the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, I got to live in different states, right, um, and attend these universities. Uh, most of my friends didn't have a chance to do that. Um, so I would say I've been lucky and fortunate, um, to be able to do all of that, uh, through the decisions that I've made in like the schools that I've attended. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, hopefully we can all get to a place where like, they can also get to experience that life, yeah. um, and, you know, uh, get exposed to different 
uh, realities and because you take a plane just like five to eight hours, you will land in a completely different world um, than the one you come from. Yeah. And then you realize how big this round bubble is yeah. relative to our, you know, human understanding of what reality is. And like, you just go over, fly over an ocean and land somewhere else and realize like people are living completely different lives. Word. And experiencing completely different things. Word. And it's also like uh not all doom and gloom either. Is it is usually uh uh a, a decisions that are made because this this ways to be great in the Bronx also. Like this this great exactly. amazing schools, like uh right. amazing minds have come from the Bronx, like uh Neil deGrasse Tyson, a, a whole bunch of, of names. Course. Bronx Bronx science. Yeah, Bronx science, you feel me? Like there's a whole bunch of people. Even yeah, like, not like I think I think even like um sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to question. No, go ahead, continue. No, but I'm saying like there is a lot of what we're talking about is like a reality that we have to talk about. But growing up in the Bronx is fun. Yeah. Like growing up in Brooklyn is fun. Growing up in New York is fun, period. Like the stuff that we experience as kids when we go to college, when we go outside of New York, people haven't experienced half of it. Yeah. Like we lived as adults from like a very young age, you know, like the parties that we went to, the uh, the stuff that we did late at night, like 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 the culture that we have, you know, like in front of our building, yeah. um, when it gets hot, you open the fire hydrant, you know, yes. that's that's culture right there. People don't oh, have yes. that. Being able to go to a bodega at any time mm-hmm. that you want, getting food at any time. Bro, I lived in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Everything closed at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. What? Yeah, like I couldn't, I couldn't come to terms with That's that. That's good though. One a.m., two a.m. You know? is good because over here in Jersey, yeah. that should be earlier than that, like eight o'clock. Exactly. Yeah. See, and then and then like growing up in the Bronx, like on our block alone, like you have multiple people, options. When it gets yeah. hot, when it gets hot too, like people come sit outside all night, play dominoes in front of the building, play music, you know, dembong or like you know Jamaican music yeah. or anything. And then, like, we just have burgers. Everybody can come and eat. Like, and, like, things like that, people are not experiencing anywhere yeah. else. Um, also, I want to add, uh, well, a different question. Um, would you say that you have a upper hand compared to some of your um, your academic partners as far as you, you actually come from the hood and... You understand these uh scenario like these scenarios and people like that they might overlook and not actually comprehend like the complexities of the situation and all that. They might just look at the stats and like you, like and also just having like the street smarts from growing up in the Bronx, like you know how to move around. Like some people, like when you go off to college and so you see like how people are like kind of like ditzy and they're like, wait, what? What? Like you'll fall for that, bro? Like you know on point and like. And it's just like absolutely, bro. I wouldn't even call it an upper hand. I think it's just a different way of looking at things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, of course, if all they're doing is reading it through books or watching it through documentaries and movies, that's their limited understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's so important for like more of us to go to these institutions, and because 
these are literally they're literally raising the future leaders of our society these are going to be the future congressmen the future mayor the future lawyers you know the people who are running things and so on right mm-hmm. and so it's important for us to have a seat at the table right to be like actually your idea about the hood is wrong mm-hmm. actually the policy that you think is going to benefit us is going to harm us in ways that are unimaginable mm-hmm. actually if you build these new high rises by the highway in the south bronx it's not going to be for the people in the south bronx you're mm-hmm. inviting rich people that are going to change our culture and gentrify our neighborhoods yes right actually that whole foods is not going to be serving our communities actually this is what we need mm-hmm. right Right now, you think we need this, but you're not speaking to us. You're not coming to our communities. You're not talking to us. Right? I mean, I mean like, uh, sorry, sorry, but sorry to cut you off, but like, the, all the evidence is there. Like, it's clear as day, bro. Like, they are pushing us out. Gentrification is happening. They are, even as far as like the, the new uh, transit things that they're doing with the, the meters right. to go downtown, they're forcing people to, all right, fuck it. Yeah, I'm not even going to work. I'm not going to drive downtown. Fuck it. I might have to look for a new job in the Bronx. So I can't find that in the Bronx. Oh, shit. Push me right. out further into upstate New York or into Jersey. You get it? You just... Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly, bro. Like, policies almost always have winners and losers. Oh, always. And <laughs> and the people who are making the decisions are making the decisions to the limited capacity or understanding of their reality, Right. And I wouldn't say unless, that they know the reality because then they're they're benefiting from them because those these right, same that's, people. That's exactly that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, these people, right? these are the same so, people that so are when like, they're making um, the policies. They're asking questions of like, how does this serve me? Mm-hmm, yeah, so exactly. we need to be at those tables to be like, no, this is actually going to harm my community. Mm-hmm. Right now, you're only thinking about it from the perspective of you because that's what you have the capacity to look at it through, mm-hmm. right? And unless we're there to like call this shit out or bring a different perspective to the table or build our own table, mm-hmm. then we're always going to be the losers of these policies. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's where like, that's where when you talk about like you actually come from the hood, like being in class, they want to talk about crime, right? They want to talk about poverty. They want to talk about disenfranchised communities. They want to talk about education, lack of resources. And like almost always, I can bring up an example of each of the topics of how these issues have affected like people in my community through my personal experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that brings so much value to a classroom than all of us just looking at statistics that are easily, easily manipulatable. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate statistics, but I took it, right? So, like, I could tell you how data, people always say, like, it's facts. According to the statistics, the data shows this. It's like, yo, bro, I can change one variable in a data set and show you exactly what I want to show you yeah. and say according to the statistics. It's funny, uh, it's funny you bring up statistics. I remember my, one of my statistics class I took, uh, there was a... One of the articles that we were referencing for, for like, you know, for the, for the, for the class, it was about that, uh, like poverty levels in, in Highbridge area in South Bronx. And it was basically like, but it covered basically like our area, like where we grew up and shit. I'm like, what the fuck? Shit was mad funny. It was the Highbridge area and Morrisonia. 
and they don't know that's us. Like, bro, that's what? us, bro. You talking about us right now? Like, we we walk up and down those stairs every day, bro. Yeah. Like, you're not telling us about this. If anything, let us teach you a thing or two about it. Yep. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Now nah, I was just gonna say it was uh it was just weird like seeing it from the other side like kind of seeing like how we're we're all kind of like lab rats in a way we're just we statist- statistics and we all play into like that bigger picture of of everything. That's how societies are shaped. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yeah, sorry, I, I cut you off. You were saying no. Uh, no, that's no, that's that's it. That's it. All right. All right. So, um, any last um, statements you want to leave with the people before we get up out of here? Uh, just thank you for doing this. Uh, I respect and appreciate the work that you're doing. Like, I'm proud of you, um, especially because I know this is not easy. The editing is not easy. Scheduling is not easy. As someone who does this, I know it's a lot of grind and a lot of hard work. And most of the time, most of us are doing it in addition to a full-time job that we have like right now what time is it like we're doing this late at night um and you're probably going to stay up later you know editing more or like interviewing somebody else um i think there is value to uh listening to stories because these stories help us connect things right Mm -hmm. um and 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 realities and so on but yeah thank you for having me i really appreciate being here and look forward to seeing how this goes in the future thank you i appreciate you man i'm oh, super proud of you too bro it's, it's great seeing like a, a care for the right 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 on the block just to do greater things bro and expand your palate like and just uh it was, it's just great seeing like the duality of you you feel me like the, the kid that can hang out with like the k flocks and them and and then could fucking be on uh, uh, the next day, be interviewing a Harvard professor. You feel me? Just like I appreciate you, Kate. It's great. But um, one thing I want to ask you: uh, Has there ever been a, a episode you haven't put out for any reason? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oof! Uh, oh, can I even talk about this? Okay, I interviewed a former White House advisor mm. that now works at the um. Department of Treasury. Um, we did an interview. I, I can't say what it's about because I had to take it down. Um, but like <laughs> we did a full interview. I fully. I mean, well, it. you can say it on this. Who gives a fuck? Nah, you. I, you gonna blow up, bro? I don't want this coming back and I get sued. <laughs> oh um, shit! Okay, it's too yeah, wild. Yeah. But which? Um, fo- yeah, which... and I also. I also don't want to get my person in trouble, you know, like my contacts. Okay, okay, I got it. Yeah, I got that. But yeah, so basically, I interviewed her, and then uh, I put out the episode fully, and then I get like a panicked email, being like, "Hey, like the supervisors, the people in charge, like this is not approved by the Treasury Department or like the White House or something like that. Please take it down." Wow. <laughs> I was like, "I got you. I'll take it down." Um, and then sometimes, like, you just have episodes that like are so good but right now it's just not the time to put it out like and i have those in the vaults and just waiting for the right time to put them out nice yeah did you scrap the video did you have did the men in black pull up and just like yeah what's up yeah i just i had to, <laughs> i had to archive everything and delete some stuff off that i had already posted mm. but like it was it was one of those uh was it High the profile interviews? 
And it was, I feel like I kind of remember seeing you post this on Instagram. It wasn't the lady that was on the Biden administration recently. Oh, you prefer not to? (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Okay. Well, that's crazy. Damn. Uh, Any, uh, sorry? Different on your. I was I saying, can, uh, I, I didn't sorry, hear can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. No, so I was going to ask you, um, it's a little different on your show because it's not like you're really interviewing people. You're talking about topics, really. But have you run into any stories that, like, blew your mind or any statistics that, like, threw you off? Like, oh, sh- like it was just, like, tied so many connections to you that it just blew your mind or anything like that? Um... Uh, I mean, there's always those stories because these people's lives are fascinating. Like, they're actually, like, uh, like I, I haven't put out this episode yet, but I recently interviewed uh, the China most expert professor. Like, he, he's one of the biggest names in, like, military security mm-hmm. and, like, China experts in the world, right? Was it given um, xenophobia? And... Or... No, no. <laughs> okay. Like, he, but, like, he's just... He was just telling me about nuclear proliferation, right? Mm-hmm. And how, like, we are just small decisions away, like, like very, very tiny decisions away from ending the world, like, quite literally. Yeah. Like, it will take, it will take, like, just a couple of people not doing their jobs right. Or some egos bumping into each other. Into, into each other. Yeah, I mean that's so like a lot. Our whole world, our whole, our whole world to go extinct, right? And yeah. like he was just talking about the danger of like nuclear warfare, with like all these major powers bumping heads right now. But mm-hmm. I'll put out that episode soon. And then the other thing that always gets me is like the anecdotes of like the stories of the people that I interview. Like I interviewed um, uh, Amani Amani Kador, who is a human rights response, um, a humanitarian rights, a humanitarian response worker uh, that was there in the aftermath of the earthquakes uh, in Turkey and Syria, right? Um, And Lebanon. And just her experience of like working on the ground and like one of her colleagues losing 40 family members to the earthquake and just like caring about those, you know, what it's like to be on the ground in the aftermath of an earthquake those those stories are always touching, you know. Yeah. Um, and like her experience doing like humanitarian work in war zones, of like Syria and so on, like that. You can't, you can't, you can't leave the interview or go home without thinking about that every day and thinking about like, what can you do to contribute to this crazy world that we live in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. Things right. like that always get to me. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. So um. Nah, matter of fact, I'll leave it because I was gonna ask you more about the China situation. Because I was gonna ask, there's a lot of contributing factors when you talk about China. Because it's all you could talk about, like they, that them encroaching and trying to get into the well, get get into South Asia Sea and like the buying up parts of Polynesia and shit like that, mm-hmm. and uh, buying buying up parts of Africa, and then like then you could get into like that whole um, move to 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 change the U.S. dollar from being the gold standard and all that. Not the gold standard, yeah, sorry. Like, um, what's, I forgot what it's called, but it's um, 
it's like BOL or some shit. What, what what's the movement that's going on right now? I know it's so uh, the BRICS countries, um, Brazil, yes, Russia, BRICS. India, uh, China, uh, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're getting together along with like other countries that are recently joined the BRICS, like Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Getting together to sort of like um, hedge their bets against the US dollar, sort of like uh, trade in their own currencies. But like, you know, this is all. And then I had a professor, Mark Blythe, who is like a world-renowned economist mm-hmm. that was talking about how like the U.S. economy is, I mean, the U.S. dollar is not losing dominance anytime soon because all major industries in the world are American companies. I saw that clip. I think I saw that clip of you guys speaking. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was smart. But like, we also, get, as Americans, we got to realize that like, other countries have irrational self-interest to promote themselves and their own causes mm-hmm. the same way that we're promoting ourselves. So it's not necessarily that like they want to go against the U.S., but rather they have to advocate for their own interest. And if that comes at the expense of us to them, that's a no-brainer yeah. because we have been operating in our own interest forever, right? So other people are going to do the same. Um, but what's dangerous is when we take things that should be handled through diplomacy, trade, cooperation, and like with, you know, talking or coming together or at the table and turn it into a military issue. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous because that could literally mean the end of our world if uh, superpowers go to conflict with each other, go to war with each other. Yeah, but I, I feel like they always use this uh this threat of new nuclear death, and I feel like nobody's I don't know I, I have a personal like belief that I, I think like nobody even really wants to do that. You get it? Because like, see, there, there's 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 not even that goes beyond the personal belief. There's a whole school of thought yeah. behind that, right? Yeah. Um, there is a belief that nuclear weapons are like shiny toys of expensive cars. Mm-hmm. They're there for show. You don't actually drive them. They're like, if you have like a one-of-a-kind Ferrari, you take it out to a car show and you put it back in the garage. You don't get on the road with it. Same thing with nuclear weapons. You bring it out to flex your muscles and show it to others and say, hey, you see, I have this big toy too. So like, don't come for me and I won't come for you. Um, but then there are other schools of thought that are saying that we're getting closer and closer to bringing out those toys than we've ever been in mm. history. There is something called the doomsday clock, which yeah. if you go downtown, um, you can actually see it now. But the big scare clock, that they put in, 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 in Union Square, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if it's in Union Square, but like I probably, mm. but like it's, it, it's, it's, it's a clock that gets closer to midnight by seconds or minutes. And recently, with everything that's happening, with all the conflict around the world, with climate change, which is something we need to touch on, um, every the clock is closer to midnight than it's ever been before, right? Mm-hmm. And the closest it had gotten to the time that it's at now was during the Cuban Missile Crisis, when Russia was literally at our doorsteps and the United States was at the doorsteps of Russia at, in Europe with nuclear weapons ready to annihilate each other. Mm-hmm. And if the threat level has gotten that high, then we really need to be concerned. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could, you could, we could get into, um, into climate change a little bit. I, it's funny because it's like, there's, uh, I see a lot of experts speaking about like, yes, climate change happens, but it's just like the earth, the earth goes through, um, major changes in climate all the time. And actually, they said that, uh, we, we want the earth to be hotter. We don't want it to be colder. Because during times of cold is where, um, you know, it's just a lack of everything. People, uh, animals get, um, you know, the whole shebang. I'm not an expert in this, but you know, bro. Well, but what are like some of your views, not views, but like some of the things you've discussed as far as uh, climate change that have been brought up to you? With climate change, here's the evidence that I have, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the way experts make decision the way like experts come to a consensus is and say something is a fact and it's happening people in the scientific community is when majority of the people in the scientific community majority of the scholars and the experts agree on one thing and the overwhelming number of experts across the world in the globe agree that climate change is real and if we don't address it, it will have devastating consequences for our for our society, right? And of course, there's always going to be outliers. But if 99, I'm not sure if this is the total number, but if 99% of people are saying, we've looked at this thing and they agree that this thing is an issue, but the 1% is saying no, and but the 1% is not backing their opinions by anything real or substantive, I am likely to believe what majority of the experts have come to agreement with. And and here is another thing. There is very little issue that mm-hmm. majority of experts agree on. So this is a testament to how real this thing is and we need to address it. Yeah. And the problem with us in the West is we're so comfortable being climate change deniers because we're not the ones experiencing the The change yeah right so if you go to the global south where rivers are drying up where deforestation is rampant where the heat is so unbearable that people can't live in their communities where livestock is dying because the pasture is no longer viable Mm -hmm. go tell them that climate change is not real yeah because they went from seeing their rivers having plenty of fish to their rivers being empty, mm-hmm. right? But, to having pl- plenty of green pasture, to having nothing. Yeah. But for us, when it's 95 degrees, 100 degrees, we go in the house and we turn on our ACs. And then we say, ah, the weather is not that bad. Yeah, yeah. motherfucker, you're sitting in the house with the AC on. Of course it's not that bad. Yeah. But I mean, I, would, I wouldn't say it's like not real, but there's definitely evidences. Because even like we see it here, cause we've seen a crazy winter. Uh, we haven't seen like I remember when I first moved here, there was just like I remember the last like big winter that like blizzard that happened in New York where it was like the schools were shut down. There was like a, a curfew in effect, and it was just like it was crazy, bro. But then like after that, it's been warmer and warmer every year. And then right. um and then now I'm seeing a lot of uh, I've been seeing like reports because it's funny how like these new weather um 
like channels and like people talking about whether it just start ironically start popping up on your algorithm but that's a different story but uh i've been yeah. seeing a lot of reports that this we're gonna be in uh have a crazy el nino this year and then i saw some other stuff about um that it, it was basically saying that the hurricanes aren't gonna start off the coast of africa anymore that they're gonna start start on the on the east coast off the coast mm-hmm. of uh, america so it's gonna they're gonna happen we're gonna have less time to prep for for hurricanes and shit like that. If yeah, no, like, um, yeah, like if island countries are super worried right now because they are at risk, right, like, mm-hmm. of like literally being submerged underwater. So every day they're talking about like, what what can we do to mitigate the effects of climate change? You know, um, people in Katrina can tell you climate change is very much real. Um, but granted, Katrina's Katrina's failure was like in an infrastructure failure mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, and then, yeah, I think for me, for me, is very much an issue. Um, and when you're reading the actual articles, not like what the algorithm wants you to see in the mm-hmm. in like yeah. your feed and stuff like that, because the way the algorithm works is if you already have doubts about climate change and you're looking up why is climate change not real or like climate change hoaxed that's the news that's the stuff that you're gonna see in all of your feed right to like sort of help you reinforce your bias about Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but uh, you just like i was saying earlier you just gotta keep an open mind and like not fall like make your own decisions not not fall into what the the narratives are and just do your own research man but um so any other topics you want to cover before we wrap it up or any last stories nah this is good this is good okay unless you have questions for me i'd have have fun talking to you you know um got to cover a lot of stuff one last one you didn't join any fraternities i'm guessing the way you were speaking about it uh i tried actually but it wasn't for me so i just didn't end up um what threw you off staying in it just the culture of like drinking and smoking and uh, partying. Like, them not them not understanding. Nah, I love to party. Don't get me wrong. I'll be outside, um, but like just like the way they party is not the way we party. Mm-hmm. The music that we play is not the music they play. Like I don't want to be in the house all day playing beer pong and talking to people about nothing all day. Like I want to dance, bro. Like yeah. And so that just it was it wasn't for me. And then also like the ideas that some people had about the world and how they built brotherhood just wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, like there's a lot of toxicity that comes from being in groups in general. Um, I saw, I saw how, how much they valued the fraternity culture and what it did for them, but it didn't do the same thing for me. And I just didn't want my name associated with that. Okay. Understandable. Oh, one last thing that I almost forgot to ask you. Do you know uh, the uh, there's like a couple of like because it, it it's hard to explain because it's just like a whole movement. What do you know of like the black Native American belief that kind of ties into black Israel, like black more and stuff? Do you know anything of that? I'm not well versed enough to have an opinion on that. 
Okay. But you being from the motherland, do you feel like, are you hesitant to believe it? Uh, I, I don't know enough about the topic to have an informed opinion. Okay. Yeah, okay. Sorry. I mean, I, I say for me, it was kind of just like always like, like is is interesting to me could just because it's like, I mean, there are black people all over the world. So why wouldn't there be black people in America also? Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Word. But I mean, yeah, just just like that, uh, let the people know where they can find you again. Oh, yeah. You can find me on every platform at Let's Just Talk with Hami. H-A-M-M-I, Hami. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything they can look forward to? You were just talking about that that the interview with the guy about China. Anything else? Yeah, no, we have a lot of great episodes in the stock. We have an episode on critical race theory, um, and you know everything that's happening in Florida when it comes to the education system and um, mm-hmm. literally changing Black history um, or keeping it out of schools. Uh, we have episodes on. Um, on the universe and where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have like a theologian, which is like a pastor in conversation with a physicist. Mm, um, nice. Yeah, we have like, you know, so many more to come. We have an episode on black maternal health coming soon um, with uh, Mama Glow, the founder of Mama Glow, Professor Thomas at Brown University. Nice. Um, and we're just going to keep on putting stuff out. So stay tuned. All right, that's what's up. Any, uh, any, major uh, interviews that you feel like the people should go straight to and uh, tap in with? I mean, we just covered uh, the recent military coups across West Africa. So I think that's a good start. Yes, and then definitely. you could just, you could just find whatever topic you're interested in. We probably have an episode on it. <laughs> nice word. Uh, one thing we're going to talk about uh, this upcoming election year we have an episode on that too, so stay tuned. Okay, perfect. Uh, we have we have an expert, um, a political commentator, Wendy Schiller, um, at Brown University, who is who has who is always on CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and oh, like nice. all the major networks, just like talking about like you know the people that you see talking about right like yeah, going yeah. to the polls. But it's like mm-hmm. yeah. That. So she is she is one of the biggest experts in American politics. She works at the oh, she's also the, the director of like. The the Taubman the Taubman Center at Brown, so um, nice. you can look forward to that if you're interested in how like the 2024 elections are going to go. Okay, uh, personal prediction: Who do you think is going to be the the two guys at top or females? I mean, right now there's nobody in the Democrat camp that can like do better than Biden. Um, Biden doesn't have any real competitors, to be honest, in mm-hmm. the Democrat camp. Um, not even all RFK? Nah, he's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, the only thing he has is the Kennedy name. Like, I don't think he has any. Bro, you know what was the weirdest shit ever when I saw him pop up on fucking um, on Matt Hoffa's podcast? And yeah. it was like, he's in, this nigga's inside of fucking, not sorry, but he's inside of fucking. Um, a barbershop in Harlem right now? Like, come on, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he's trying hard. But, like, I don't think Biden has any rural contenders. And then on the Repo- Republican side, um, it's tough because everybody is – they have a lot of contenders, right? Like, Nikki Haley um, 
uh, what's the black dude's name? Uh, his name uh, escaped me. He's the he's the, he's like one of the only black senators besides Cory Booker, but he's Republican. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the guy that the, the guy that went out of with Charlemagne, right? I I, I with the glasses. See, I didn't see that episode. No, no, he doesn't have glasses. Um, okay. I'll I'll tell you his name once I remember it. Um, That's cool. You yeah. also have so those two, and you also have Ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. So Ron DeSantis is basically. Donald Trump without the baggage that Donald Trump comes with. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be tough for the Republicans because it's going to be about convincing Trump voters that Ron they, can give, they, can, they can give, give them what Trump is promising and giving them without mm-hmm. having any of Trump's baggage. Do you think Uncle That's T, gonna be the Uncle T not making it this year? Now, Uncle T, Uncle T is, is, has a lot of prospects, but Uncle T also has a lot of legal bottles right now that mm-hmm. he's, he's dealing with right now. So, um, I feel like the, uh, that's I mean, like Uncle T, Uncle T has no positive media coverage. So it don't matter though. That's that what media, I'm saying though. Yeah. That if, should if, actually help him. If the other, if the other candidates, can convince Republican voters that they can give them what Uncle T is giving them without the baggage, then Uncle T is in trouble. Right. But, but it's going to be hard because they fuck with Uncle T hard. Yeah. A lot of people fuck with Uncle T. Even people from that were opposed, that didn't vote for him in the last election. He's, I feel like he's won over a lot of hearts. especially. Well, I feel like the, the, the Democrats did a lot, they did a lot to bite themselves in the ass. Especially with the whole Ukraine everything. I mean, they did, but person, personally, I think Uncle T should stay out of office, but um, that's just my personal opinion. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think he's good for the future of our country. But and nor, Would you say we're better off now than we were before? Uh, that depends what you consider better off, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, as a matter of fact, we don't have to get into that. I know you don't like you you not you don't like exposing your own personal views. <laughs> but nah, yeah. I'm I'm okay with I'm okay with talking about it. It's just, um, yeah, we'll talk. Yeah, <laughs> that's too deep, honestly. But uh, yo, it's been a great episode, bro. I really appreciate your time, man. We got to do this again next time. I'm gonna have some video up so we can even pull up some stats and get into more details of everything. Of course, gang, I got you. Well, right, definitely. Uh, make sure you guys go support. Let's just talk with Hami. I'm gonna have all his descriptions in the description below. Uh, all his links, sorry, in the description below, and. Make sure you follow us at nfs.pod. Follow me on my personal account at sunny.nycc. And just like that, man, it's been a great episode. I appreciate you for your time once again, bro. And I'm really proud of everything you're doing, bro. Likewise, likewise. I appreciate you, All right, but yeah, just like that, guys, it's been a great episode. Peace. All right. All right.